welcome to Zun in Canada. Uh, I'm your host, Jesse Betteridge. Uh, and joining me in this episode, for the first time in one year now, uh, it's Randy Forbester. Randy, great to have you back. Can you just give a quick intro, intro to yourself for anyone who, who may not be familiar with you? Sure. I live in Winnipeg, Manitoba, and I currently uh, work as the programming officer for the largest anime convention in Manitoba, which by the name of Icon. As you uh, you might know if you follow this show regularly, Zonic Canada, of course, is a podcast exploring the connections between anime and Canadian media, and that involves uh, television, streaming, and also movies and cinema releases. So every year we do an episode where we kind of look back on twenty on the previous year um, as far as theatrical film releases go for anime in Canada, uh, because it's been of a been been a bit of a rocky subject for the last few years. I'd say about three. Three or four years ago, we were consistently getting every film that was getting, you know, a, a one one or two day release in the United States. Um, that has changed a lot in the last couple of years, though, and it's been uh, a little less consistent. So what we do is we kind of look look back at the films we saw, you know, we'll talk a bit about what we thought of them uh, and also look at films we didn't get, kind of speculate or explore why certain films made, made it up here and why certain ones didn't and Paint, paint a picture of the, the scene right now. But, uh, of course, the theatrical scene in Canada is mostly dominated by Cineplex, and there's been a few interesting happenings with Cineplex um, to start out the decade. Um, first one is something that I was surprised to see so many people outraged about. Tanner Zipchin has been uh, fired as the, the face of, the, uh, of, the, uh, of Cineplex pre-show. It's a travesty. I cannot, I, I cannot believe they let him go. Apparently, this is an unpopular opinion, but I hate the Cineplex pre-show <laughs> and everything it stands for, and I think it should be abolished, which I suspect is not what's happening right now. Um, no. But uh, yeah, it's he, he. How long has he been doing it for? Uh, it has to be. I, I think, uh, if I recall, he was saying three, four years. Yeah, about that, which sounds right to me. Okay, yes, yeah, so it hasn't it hasn't been that long, but yeah, he's no. he, he he's been there. I think. He's been there for a while. I th- I think I don't know who was doing it before him, but I don't think they've had anyone doing it as long as he has. No, I don't believe so either. Uh, like they had they had, gosh, why do I know this? They had Mark Saltzman uh, do all of the tech uh, segments of yeah. the Cineplex pre-show, and he still pops up from time to time. Yeah, uh, but yeah, but uh, Tanner Tanner Z as he goes by Tanner Z uh, has been there for quite a while. And I guess I guess it's been he's not unpopular, which is interesting. I I'm think. sure some focus group has determined that correctly, uh, mm. g- given the social media outrage that uh, that that emerged from this. Um, yeah, I have no idea why they would do that or what they have in mind for the future. I'm pretty sure it's going to be more of the same kind of thing, Re- regardless of what happens with that. Uh, pro- probably the bigger news with Cineplex is that they've been bought out uh, by. Cineworld, a UK-based company. So Cineplex are, you know, basically monopolizing cinema overlords here in Canada are now no longer even Canadian. They are, uh, they are our theatrical landscape is now dominated entirely by a foreign, or almost entirely by a foreign company. That's, that's wild to me. Just like the fact that in Canada, we've been, we've had the one company having domination overall has been really unfortunate. Uh, and now that it's not even Canadian, I don't even, I don't get the point of it. Personally. Yeah. 
it, like I, I don't think it's going to change very much in terms of just market penetration and uh, which companies hold a certain amount of power or anything like that. I think we're we're going to see just, there's going to be just as many cineplexes. Um, and then, you know, you get like landmark and independent theaters just kind of on the sidelines, providing the closest thing to an alternative that's even possible. But it is yeah. basically, you know, they, they, they have the monopoly pretty much. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't think anything's going to change much day to day operations. I'm sure a lot of people are going to lose their jobs, uh, yeah. as is always the case with this kind of thing. Um, I can't think of any th- I, I can't think of any good that can come out of this honestly or or anything that can be improved i mean cineplex has a lot of problems but is there just not problems i see anyone bothering to fix no there's nothing that there's lots that cineplex could be doing if they actually had competition yeah uh i mean like just looking at the u.s you have the amc a list like the subscription services mm-hmm. are popping up there because they have the different theater companies competing against each other, but there's nothing to stop Cineplex from just saying this is the way things are and this is how you're going to work. Uh, besides like the scene points, which is the, the smallest, uh, breadcrumbs that they could hand out to us, uh, which leaves just the independent theaters trying to, or not even independent, like the other theaters trying different techniques. Uh, and to that, I'll say the landmark cinema in my city has actually completely changed how they market themselves. They've now started marketing themselves as kind of like a luxury theater. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then they have, they have like the comfiest theater seats I've seen in any theater. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Uh, which, which is really a good thing, but it's still hard to make that decision to go to a landmark because there's only one. It's pretty far from me. And in my head, I, why am I going to this theater if I can, go to a Cineplex theater and get scene points to help me get a discount for the movie in the future, which is ridiculous to think about. I have never um, fallen into the temptation of the scene points myself. Mm. Um, and uh, there, there is a, there is a landmark fairly close to me and I try to go there when I can. Um, I mean, I think it's, it, it's kind of futile to uh, always try to support the competitor <laughs> in those mm-hmm. situations. Like the thing about making the the seats comfier at comfier at Landmark or having like lounge seats is that they've dramatically reduced the number of seats that they have in each theater, mm-hmm. um, which almost seems like an admission of the fact that not as many people went to Landmark to begin with, so they may as well have fewer seats that are a lot comfier. And uh, but the problem the problem with Landmark is that there it is significantly less frequent that they get any kind of special event movies mm-hmm. um or or limited release films uh, yeah. sometimes sometimes they pop up um actually as we saw with we'll, we'll get into it in a bit with uh with the the second um fate stay night heaven's feel film cineplex couldn't even contain that one landmark had a whole bunch of screenings going for that as well oh it's interesting um, didn't, didn't yeah. happen over here but yeah, yeah in in bc and i think a couple of the provinces there were landmarks were doing a whole bunch of screenings for it um oh. which to me says that uh anaplex probably took a look at the the fate go numbers and realized that they have to go all out up here because i think mm-hmm. the game is very popular up here and makes them a lot of money sure is uh but yeah so that's kind of the situation with cineplex uh i i don't I'd be curious to see if the new ownership is going to have any impact on the way Cineplex events works. 
Um, if you're not familiar with the like minutia of all this, most anime you see run theatrically in Canada is not done direct. Well, it's done through Cineplex, but Cineplex has a sub company uh, that's called Cineplex Events. They are basically the Canadian equivalent to Fathom Events. It's just confusing because they don't have a completely separate brand like Fathom does. And Fathom mm-hmm. is a consortium of multiple U.S. theaters. Uh, a program that they run, they do things like opera, limited event releases, a lot of foreign films that only uh, run one or two days, and of course anime. And anime is a big part of uh, what has kept Fathom, or what has helped Fathom grow in the United States over the last four or five years. Um, and while Cineplex Events does take on many of the anime films, they one, they don't take on as many, uh, nearly as many as Fathom does. Um, I think over over 2019, from the looks of things, I say we got maybe about two thirds of the anime films that that were released in the U.S. Does that sound about right? Yeah, I would think so. Maybe a little more. I maybe think we, more. 2019 was better than 2018. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2018 was 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 pretty bad. It was a we saw a little bit of an improvement in 2019. We did. Yeah. I think Cineplex events has picked up the slack a little bit, but the problem is they are not pushed they don't push it very hard at all they don't push it like fathom does uh with fathom events they were running trailers for like i want to eat your pancreas in front of um in front of spider verse in early 2019 or because it was that was still in theaters at the time or actually they were even promoting it in 2018 whereas cineplex events and for the longest time they didn't even run trailers ever for anime films now they're at least running anime trailers in front of other anime Mm-hmm. Uh, that's more than they did uh, like a year ago. Mm-hmm. So at, le- at least they're promoting it a little bit, but they haven't gotten to the point where they're running anime ads before non-anime films uh, or other animated films or just regular release films or anything like that. So you're not you're not seeing that kind of push happening with Cineplex. They seem I wouldn't say reluctant to take it on, but you know they're they're they're, they're doing the bare minimum, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes a little less than the bare minimum. And that's probably all we can expect from them. Yeah. I, I don't expect any of that is going to change with the new ownership, um, especially since I don't think the UK really has uh, releases handled in the same fashion that we see in the US and uh, and Canada. I think they it, it's all kind of done in a different way over there. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know that for sure. I, have, I actually haven't looked into it very hard. No, um, I, I, can't, I can't see too much changing as far as that goes, though. Like, I... I think a large part of why like anime has such a bigger social impact in the States a lot of because of Toonami and that resurgence and how that's kind of uh, brought it like having the new stuff on TV right away kind of keeps the anime audience in the States a little more together and unified in terms of what they're watching. And in Canada, we don't really have that. We just have what, what you are watching on streaming and that changes from everyone to everyone. And if there was some kind of like unified, everyone watches this thing or like a large amount of people watch this segment on TV, that kind of brings people a little closer together. Like we still see the anim- the anime fans come together for the conventions, but that is, isn't quite the same as in the States where it's really... Uh, becoming more and more prevalent 
I would say. Yeah, I mean, anime convention gatherings are the the audiences that go to anime conventions. When you're at the point you go to an anime convention, you're kind of uh, beyond the mainstream at that point. Exactly. Like the mainstream is going to be hitting people who wouldn't associate themselves with anime fandom at all to the point mm-hmm. of going to a convention or th- even thinking of going to a convention. And that, you know, as we've gone on about adnasium on this show, that's that's kind of the problem here. And even if there was like a collection of of titles like on Crave or something like that, that would probably make a significant difference mm-hmm. or, excuse me, or kind of uh, create that, that, that kind of mainstream hotbed that, uh, that is the basis for everything. And, uh, and yeah, Toonami really, really does play that role to a large extent in, um, into the, in the United States far more than I think people, people think many people seem to think that cable and satellite are, are completely dead, which is far from the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, uh, it is, it is definitely on a decline. Uh, but, you know, wherever people thought it was about five or six years ago is probably where it is now. Uh, I went to the U.S. in December, and while I was there, I caught a bit of uh, this, the Cartoon Network blocks. And just seeing how there were always ads for the Toonami and all the shows, like, throughout the day, throughout whatever was playing on the TV. Uh, and just seeing how that was just always there was just mind-boggling to me based on what we see when i watch any kind of tv like uh kids-based channels or adult-based channels you don't see any of that stuff period yeah and just like the difference in what you see on channels that are very easily accessible is is pretty staggering i would i think yeah yeah and i mean even uh on joe para talks with you they make they make jokes about tsunami on that show He's uh he's got he's got to be careful otherwise Adult Swim Canada is going to pull him off the air. <laughs> uh but yeah that's uh that that's kind of the situation and and I guess just just to give the extra background if you weren't aware um Fathom has only been doing anime films in the states for a few years now but it's marked a big shift in the way that it's handled uh, because having a having having a company that is directly tied with the th- the three most prominent theater chains has made it much, much, much easier for more companies to get their anime films just running in like one or two night special engagement events mm-hmm. across the United States. Uh, it's just been far more easier, far more efficient than, than it's ever been before. And the the thing about, about anime is that I think the thing that companies have finally figured out is that with films, if you can get it in theaters before the home video release happens in Japan, lots of people will go see it because there's no way for them to pirate it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's actually probably one of the one of the uh, one of the best ways to get anime or people who watch anime to pay money to see anime is to put it in theaters uh, because there's at that point there's no no way for them to get it yet. But Canada has been I don't want to say Canada has been slow on the uptake because when more of these companies were doing direct distribution with the theaters or working through actually 11 arts started as a company that helped get uh, distributors like Funimation and, and, um, and, and, and Anaplex and those companies into theaters and get their stuff, get, get their stuff into theaters. And they would always be able to get things in Canadian U S and Canadian theaters. Sometimes they'd even secure more screenings in Canada. Just, I don't even know how they did that, but it's just, just, it just made economic sense mm-hmm. when they were doing that at the time. But now that the theaters have beefed up Fathom events, which gives them more direct control over things, uh, and it also in a way makes it easier for the companies to get their films out wider and, uh, I guess, cuts down on the middlemen, 
companies have just been going straight to Fathom to to get their films out. But of course, Fathom doesn't deal in Canada. They have to create. They have to make a separate deal with Cineplex Events to get the films out here. And we're still at a point where a lot of companies just don't either don't know that they have to deal with Cineplex Events or just don't want to go through the effort of dealing with two different companies. Um, it has improved a lot this year uh, because we've seen for a while, even G kids wasn't really bothering working with Cineplex events to get stuff out. Uh, or at least there was some kind of issue that was keeping them from, from getting their films out. Uh, they seem to have made to, to made some strides to improve that um, because, uh, well, as uh you may know um, Ride Your Wave, the new Masaki Yuasa film, is going to be in Cineplex uh, theaters in February 2020, which is um, – actually, I think that marks the first time that Cineplex Events has done a Masaki Yuasa film, even though there's been like three of them mm-hmm. that have been released through Fathom at this point. Um, Cineplex Events didn't do any of them before, which is uh, a travesty, honestly, but I'm glad it's getting, uh, it's getting addressed now. Uh, and, yeah. you know, we've seen – there have been issues with companies, but it seems things are kind of starting to stabilize. But there's there are still some outliers who kind of aren't playing ball. But we'll 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 sort of uh, establish that as we go through each of the films because we're, we're we're looking back at 2019 again. So I mean I got a I got a list here. I think it's pretty exhaustive of all the stuff that came out over the last year and um, throughout 2019. And the first film I'm going to bring up it's actually one that was released in the United States in 2018. All the Canadian screenings it got, though, were in 2019, and uh, that's because... uh, I I don't know what happened here, but um, Eleven Arts initially announced that they'd be releasing this film in both the U.S. and Canada in late 2018, but the Canadian Cineplex release never happened, and there's never been an explanation as to why. Um, Given that Eleven Arts announced it, and then it didn't happen, I'm assuming... Cineplex events just didn't want it for some reason, and it was Liz and the Blue Bird, mm-hmm. um, which is really unfortunate because, of course, 2019 was the year that the the arson attack happened at Kyoto Animation, and mm-hmm. uh, one of the the best films that Kyoto Kyoani has produced. Actually, I think probably the best film that they've produced um, that I've seen at least. Actually, I haven't mm-hmm. seen a silent voice yet, so I, I, I can't uh, weigh in on that. Uh, Liz and the Blue Bird is probably the best film I've seen from them. Uh, certainly, and it, I, I think it's very disappointing that the, this movie didn't really get a chance to get a proper release here. Uh, it did have a couple. Actually, I think the only proper theatrical screening, like in a in a theater, that it got was in Vancouver um, at the Van City Theater, and that's because I asked them to play it. And then when they played it, I couldn't even see it uh, because they mm. scheduled it on a weekday, and I had to work. Mm, uh, so that was uh that was pretty disappointing. I, I did eventually watch it. It is a it is it is a beautiful film. Uh you can get it on Blu-ray for like 20 bucks. Um but I, you saw Liz and the Bluebird? Yes. Uh we actually uh screened it at Icon Winterfest. Yes. It, uh, sh- so it showed I, up at, it did show up at quite a few cons over mm-hmm. the course of the year. Yeah. Yeah, so I I was lucky enough to get the screener copy before, so I I watched it uh few days before we screened it at Winterfest. I found it to be an exceptional movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say, for my money, the best Kyoto animation movie I've seen was, has been Tamako Love Story. Oh, from, yeah, yeah. From the same director. And it, this Listen Bluebird has a lot of the same uh, storytelling styles that Tamako Love Story has. Very slow and deliberate pacing. Uh, a lot of quiet moments. And a lot of really, really impressive character acting for very 
small intricate details that I found really enhanced the story that was being told. Uh, like both Liz and Lupert and Tamako love story have these really are smart, are pretty small, intimate stories. And the fact that we're seeing this in an animation format uh, lets you really take in those character acting moments in a way that you wouldn't necessarily notice in a live action movie. Yeah. And I found, uh, I found that really interesting and really impressive. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, now Naoko Yamada, she is, Definitely the most um, cinematically inclined of, of the KyoAni directors, and it, it, in case you weren't aware, she is uh, she is still alive. I don't believe she was actually even in the the, the primary studio when the when the arson attack happened. Mm-hmm. With Listen to Blue Bird, it, I know I, I don't know how it. I'm not familiar with Sound Euphonium. Uh, Listen to Blue Bird is a film that very much stands on its own. You don't have to know anything about Sound Euphonium at all to to go into it or appreciate it it helps because mm-hmm. then you'll you'll know you'll know the characters a little more but it is completely unnecessary it is a standalone film and i i'm i'm assuming that it adapts some portion of the original light novels um i don't know to some extent because it really feels like um the the staff of the film just found a very small little detail from the novels uh, a very small aspect of the relationship between two characters and like the dependency between the two characters and just honed in hyper specifically on that one sentiment mm-hmm. and the way that that one sentiment and the the one element of their relationship kind of intersects with a few other things that's going on. There's I, and, and again, I'm not really familiar with sound euphonium. I, I believe this is happening between the second season and the, the final film, which we also got later in the year. Um, but the, like narratively, it's the focus is on just these characters kind of dealing with their relationship and um, moving past things and the and the way that they the the ups and downs of how um, their friendship is built and how it affects other aspects of their lives um, and the the way it just it is able to illustrate that through like character direction and through allegory it's it's absolutely absolutely stunning um, I think the entire film takes doesn't take place in the school but like around the school even even events where they go to other places that are divorced from the school like the beach or anything it, it happens completely off screen which is uh i thought was a really interesting deliberate choice because it just makes it so focused and so intimate um mm-hmm. but yeah that was a it's a exceptional film and if you haven't seen it again the blu-ray is like 20 bucks just just go buy it you can yeah it's at, i think i think you can probably get it at walmart <laughs> or or uh, or or other mainstream retailers. It's it's a, it's a show factory release, so it's it's kind of everywhere. A very bare bones release, though. I don't think they had any even had any special features on it. No, I don't think so. Yeah, it's just uh, an exceptional piece of animation. And if you haven't seen it and you really like uh, slow moving, deep character study movies, this is something that you absolutely have to see. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like at most. The other characters appear from the back of their head for a scene or two, and that's about all of the main series characters that show up. Yeah. So it's really just this. It's really just a side story between these two girls in the woodwind section, which is pretty much divorced from the rest of the series, and it's a completely yeah. standalone, easily digestible story by itself. Yeah, and like like much of of sound euphonium at least for what what i've seen of it, it like it 
it, it, it's a test of how close they can get to making this like a lesbian relationship with still having enough room to deny that mm-hmm. that's like actually actually the case. Which I know that's an aspect of the series that um, people are 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 pretty critical of um, or have or feel very uh, have various feelings about, but. I mean, you can read it. You can absolutely read it that way too. Mm-hmm. If, if yeah, you want. It, it it can be read either way, really. It can, as, yeah, as actually, a close yeah. friendship or romantic. Yeah, both readings provide valid interpretations of the absolutely. That yeah, happen. that that I, I found that quite surprising actually. Um, and it, I, I yeah, I thought it, it worked well in that way. The first film that got released actually in 2019 uh, in the U.S. I think was actually Modest Heroes. Um, or actually, I, my, my timing might be off, but there was a, a compilation film from Studio Ponoc, um, who did um, Mary and the Witch's Flower, uh, called Modest Heroes. Uh, a G-Kids release, surprisingly, uh, not released in Cineplex theaters at all in, in Canada. It did, it did hit uh, a couple of film festivals, I believe, but it did not get a wide release um, I haven't, I didn't hear a lot of people talking about this one, so I, uh, I, did you really hear, hear much about it, Randy? Uh, I just knew of it when it was coming out because, like, short film compilations are kind of in my wheelhouse and I'm always kind of curious about those. Uh, but the fact that Modest Heroes, its total runtime is only, is less than an hour. Yeah. So I'm not entirely surprised that it didn't make it to theaters. I, I can't see, I wouldn't be able to see, like, a Cineplex thinking that that would like an hour movie would be worth putting into a theater. That might, uh, I mean, it didn't stop Fathom, but that, yeah, I, I, I could but... definitely see that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but also the, again, I think this was like the tail end of G kids, not really prioritizing Cineplex events. Yeah. Uh, I think from this point on, we, I think pretty much everything they put out has hit Cineplex though. So this was kind of the last, um, kind of dud from that, uh, that stretch of, uh, of films mm-hmm. not, not getting pushed up here. But I think the January January of course also saw the release of Dragon Ball Super Broly, which somehow wasn't a wide release. Uh, actually, was still a Cineplex events thing um, and Fathom events in the states, but an event film that was pushed to the absolute limits of what qualifies as an event film because it was basically a wide release. I yeah. think this was playing pretty much everywhere in the country that well i mean unless you live in a a, a very small community where there's no theater uh which of which there are many mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh yeah there, there was it, it 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 was it would be hard to not find uh dragon ball super broly playing in a theater um it did extremely well and i think i think that may have been a, a bit of a game changer just in cineplex taking on anime because it you know, once to get a reminder that, uh, you know, you can you can get a major hit sometimes if it's connected to the right franchise. Yeah, and then in Dragon Ball Super Broly's case, it came off of a incredibly popular finale for that series. Yeah, uh, like like the super po- the Dragon Ball Super finale, uh, like in some country in some countries in South America, I believe, like they took out like stadiums to watch it. Oh, in, for the finale in, in Mexico, they were yeah, just playing okay. at giant screens on the streets, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it, it's definitely was one of the biggest reawakenings for Dragon Ball in general. Like I, I people were talking about Dragon Ball who I hadn't heard talk about Dragon Ball in ages, and the the Broly movie really used that momentum 
and continued the story that was being told. And you, of course, having Broly in it helped a lot because Broly himself is a very, very popular character. He's definitely the most popular movie-only character from Dragon Ball. And this new interpretation of where he comes from and how he his origins are really, really interesting and yeah. a big improvement on what they were in the original non-canon movies as well. Yeah, I think Tor- Toriyama mentioned that like he 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 wasn't really familiar with Broly, but he acknowledged that he was really popular for a reason. Um, and of course Toriyama gets does in, give, gives input on all the Dragon Ball stuff that gets released now. So um, whether you're following the movies or the show or the manga, it's all, you know, they're, they're not all exactly the same, but they're all kind of quote unquote canon to some mm-hmm. extent, as long as, as long as it gets his seal of approval, which stuff was not the case with the older no. um, animated material. But, you know, I, I, Tor, I think when Toriyama was giving his input, it seemed like he focused on what made Broly popular and sort of worked backwards to um, find out how to turn that into a, into a compelling character. And it, it worked really well in the movie. Um, Dragon Ball Super Broly is a lot of fun. Uh, it And again, I haven't I haven't watched the, the full ending of Dragon Ball Super yet, but um, the, the animation quality just takes this massive upturn right mm-hmm. at the end of the series for the, the last the last portion of the of the tournament and that carries into dragon ball super broly because this is astonishingly a film that for once toei didn't cheap out with mm-hmm. uh which they usually do um i i really wasn't a big fan of, of resurrection of f um but broly totally made up for it this is this this is this is the good stuff as far as as dragon ball goes um yeah my my only complaint is like again with a lot of the super stuff the totally uh conspicuous lack of blood um, mm-hmm. which is, I, I don't understand why they do that. Apparently it's to, okay. I understand why they do it. It's because of, to, cause they ha- they seem to be under the impression that it will make it more marketable internationally, but that doesn't apply to movies at all. And they're, they're kind of going, I think they're kind of going off of data from the early two thousands. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, I think they've definitely started keeping Americans in mind because like in the Western audiences, I should say, yeah. Because, and looking back on what was the input when Dragon Ball was super popular in the late nine, in the mid nineties in North America, and that included keeping the blood content down, and I think that definitely influences how they they do it nowadays. Like even like the Dragon Ball Kai re-airs had a lot of the blood taken out yeah. too. They kept some in though, mm-hmm. but like the I don't know I I think the the lack of blood in, in Super just seems kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Um, especially, especially when you know it's quite. You know, Bro- Broly's pretty brutal. Oh yeah, and I, uh, I don't think having a little bit of blood would have made it seem way worse, or even pushed it into PG thirteen in the states or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So, but like I, even without the blood, I found the fights pretty brutal. Like I think there, yeah. there's a there's a scene where where Frieza gets his head pushed against like a an, an entire cliffside. Yeah, and like like lots of those kinds of like oh like. I know how that's going to feel. and That's going to hurt like lots of brutal without necessarily showing the blood, which works in its own way, even though it's not entirely what Dragon Ball has been before. Yeah. And uh, it also featured the, the canon introduction, of not only Broly, but also Gogeta. And they were, I, I appreciate that they were absolutely certain to uh, get at least a cameo appearance of fat Gogeta in mm-hmm. there as well. That was a very important touch and I'm glad they did it. Mm-hmm. 
and yeah, I'm uh, I'm going to be curious to see. I think the Dragon Ball Super manga is now covering the Broly arc, which probably means that whenever the anime comes back, it's going to be a rehash of um, the movie, which we'll see how that goes. <laughs> From what I've heard, it's a little past there. I, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm, we may be hearing something different. I, I hear it's past the Broly arc and yeah. that Goku and Vegeta are now working with the Space Force. From what okay. I've heard, okay. I've heard that I've heard that's currently what's happening. I don't keep up with the manga because it just yeah, no, obviously, really, obviously neither do I. <laughs> yeah, it's not up my alley. Uh, yeah. But I've heard some interesting things that are happening, and I'm sure whenever Dragon Ball Super comes back, which I guess now will be after that Digimon series that just got announced, which yeah. is taking the Kitaro slot. Uh, I think after that, Dragon Ball might come back, and if it comes back and it keeps up that momentum, it's gonna keep like steamrolling ahead. Yeah, sure. yeah, absolutely. So also, uh, February saw February 2019 saw a couple more releases uh, that notably we did not get. Um, the biggest one I mentioned already it was I Want to Eat Your Pancreas, mm-hmm. uh, which was the semi-tragic romantic comedy, or not not comedy, just roman- mm-hmm. romance film um, with the alarming title that <laughs> I think I think uh, Fathom and the distributors tried their best to uh, to to grab people's attention with. Which uh, I have not seen because I don't even know how you can see it now. Did did Anaplex release this? Uh, I haven't heard about it. Like they, they must have released it somehow. Yeah, um, I, I but... think I think it might be out on like an extremely expensive Blu-ray that I'm absolutely not paying for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, because yeah, no, th- that was really disappointing. Uh, that was like the one of the biggest examples of a company just making a deal with with fathom events and leaving it at that um i i'm kind of surprised that it happens because they they marketed the shit out of this in the states mm-hmm. and you 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 oh, really yeah. couldn't you couldn't ignore that marketing um when, from other countries no but the united states was the only country that got that movie in theaters it was it was just it was blasted so much blasted the message was blasted out so much and mm-hmm. Uh, and they just would not consider expanding beyond that, and I, I don't understand why. Uh, that was very frustrating. <laughs> yeah, uh, um, I'm looking. On, I'm looking online right now on Red Stuff. It's apparently it's a Red Stuff exclusive, and it came out in December, in October on Blu-ray. Okay, but yeah. So, so yeah, so not only yeah, so Red Stuff exclusive too. Yeah, is, yeah. Red Stuff exclusive, fifty dollar MSRP US dollars. <laughs> Which, you know, but I, that kind of surprised me about Anaplex. This is the second that I can think of off the top of my head that is an Anaplex movie that has been released for a while but is only on disc and has not been on streaming. Usually yeah. the rest of their movies have been streaming somewhere, usually Netflix. But right now I, I can think of uh, Dokusei and now I Want to Eat Your Pancreas have both been released on Blu-ray and have not shown up anywhere else yet. Yeah, and Dokusei, that was, well, I mean, it's a short movie, but that's another mm-hmm. one that... We did not get in theaters up here. I don't think it even screened at any conventions up here. Mm. And yeah, I, the, the 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 tactic in that place, in that case, is just show it in theaters in the U.S. and then hope that the people who saw it in theaters will buy the home video release. Which mm. um, a very flawed strategy. <laughs> yeah. Um, actually, no. I'm. I'm. You know what? It's flawed strategy from my perspective. I'm sure it works perfectly fine for Anaplex because they make all the money they need from it. Exactly. Um, but yeah, it. Uh, it goes against 
the better Anaplex strategy, which is put everything on, put the content on every streaming platform you possibly can, and then make a really nice Blu-ray reset that the people who really like the the film or TV series will pay for. Mm-hmm. That is how you do it. But uh, yeah, the, like mo- mo- movies are just a big problem with streaming, and and not just with Anaplex, with even G Kids and Eleven Arts. Um, I think that G Kids has some content that's streaming on Verve. Um, which of course is, uh, despite the the never-ending promises by certain Crunchyroll staff that Verve is coming to countries outside of the United States, that has still not happened, and I don't think it's going to happen for a while, if ever, given what a mess Warner's whole streaming situation is right now. Yeah, I can't see Verve ever making its way out here at this point. It's yeah. taken so long at this point, and they've basically stopped even commenting on Canada. So I I wouldn't be surprised if we'd never see it, which is not like not the biggest deal to me, since the only the only programs from Verve that I would have been interested in were High Dive and Crunchyroll. And like combined, it's not even a huge amount of money to get those two Uh, back when they had Shudder. I would have been more interested, but I know Shudder even went off Verve in the States. And they did. Yeah, I believe it's part of Amazon now as it is in Canada. Yeah, of course you can also get Shutter on its own. But, yeah, of course you get Shutter yeah, on its own. Yeah. Um, with uh, but yeah, but but still, Verve ha- there's a little catalog of titles that is ex- only on Verve. Uh, that includes a it has Last Man, which is a, a French animated series that you can't see here any other way. In fact, you can't even watch the trailer on Verve's YouTube channel in Canada. <laughs> um. And uh, and they have some G Kids movies. Not all of them. There's still, I think, the majority of G Kids films are just not really streaming anywhere right now. Um, I think, uh, I, given that they were able to work out a deal with HBO uh, Max for the Studio Ghibli films, um, I uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we see more G Kids content on that platform in the U.S. Um, but of course, that is yet another Warner-based platform that we're not getting up here. <laughs> Because uh, Crave is getting the the HBO Max original content, uh, but none of the ancillary stuff, which is what I would want HBO Max for. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, so that that stuff's just gonna remain kind of in limbo uh, indefinitely, unless someone does anything about it. Well, actually, Crave is streaming Dragon Ball Super Broly. You can you can you can see it on there on the on the full like eight Crave HBO movies package. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still there. And it is labeled as anime. They they made an anime descriptor for it, so that suggests that they recognize anime as a category that could exist potentially. But when you search anime, that's the only thing that comes up right yeah. now. So maybe they'll look into to getting some movies. I'd, uh, uh, I'd I'd love to see them get the Studio Ghibli films um, on there because that seems to be that seems to be the most likely scenario, the most plausible scenario at least. But yeah, I'm not holding my breath on that. Um, and then, also in February, we saw the release in the States of Gundam Narrative, uh, which, ooh, that movie got a reaction. Mm-hmm. Did, did you see that one? I have not. Uh, yeah. I haven't seen... Uh, I've been in a bit of a Gundam drought for the past two years. Yeah. Ever since, I think, like, uh, Build Fighters Dive kind of killed every interest I had in Gundam for a while. <laughs> This wasn't wasn't great. I, st- I still collect model kits that I need to build, uh, but beyond that, I haven't watched a lot of Gundam, uh, which is too bad. So this film is apparently wretched. 
uh, as soon as it screened in the States, my Twitter was just <laughs> lit up with uh, with people who had very colorful things to say about it. Um, apparently, it's a giant disaster. Uh, some have said that we dodged a bullet by not having to watch this movie in theaters. Um, and I, I would have got, I probably would have gone to see it if we had gotten it. So maybe, maybe I should count my blessings. Um, it actually had two separate releases, one for the subtitled version, one for the dubbed version in the U.S. Um, but we, we got neither. Uh, and that's because these releases were being done directly by Sunrise. And I don't think that Sunrise even thought to work with anyone but Fathom. Because again, like Fathom has just become the go-to company for getting your movie out, uh, to English-speaking audiences, I think I think Japanese companies have come to even see it that way. Um, whereas that you know, the idea that you also have to deal with Cineplex events to get your movie out in Canada, I think it it, it is a, it, it is a nuance that uh, that is, that is not as widely recognized, unfortunately. So um, even though we didn't we, we did we didn't have to watch a terrible movie in theaters, it's still unfortunate that you know it was overlooked. Cineplex events was overlooked for probably that reason, mm-hmm. and uh, and we also also at the end of the year there was also Sheriff's Counterattack, which got a subtitled release, uh, basically through the same strategy that that we didn't see up here. And then next year, late in in late 2020, uh, we're seeing that new Hathaway Flash movie, which is kind of a sequel to, to Sheriff's Counterattack, which I gotta say I am not optimistic about no um, I, I, I think of i would have loved to see shara's counterattack in theater that's the yeah. one like like i mean that movie is lots of that movie is real bad oh uh, yeah <laughs> but it is see, it is it is it is ma- massively a massively tomino film yeah but just to uh, yeah. see like uh i'm trying to think of the exact date like late eight, late 80s early 90s mecha animation yeah, yeah. on a big screen would have been absolutely phenomenal to see yeah uh, definitely but and not seeing that is pretty unfortunate but narratively it's <laughs> okay that we didn't get it yeah yeah which also a sharp counterattack it only they only screened it with the the japanese with english subtitled version and not the uh not the canadian dub which <laughs> i don't know what what influenced that decision and i know all the characters have been recast for when they appear in gundam the origin and um any later installments that involve the uh the original universal century crew but mm-hmm. uh I don't, I don't know if that had anything to do with that decision i don't know we'll see but it's uh it was too bad they didn't they didn't put the dub out because yeah. uh the movie does have a decent dub even though the movie itself is a little a little questionable mm-hmm. um and also february saw the release of um one of the most important Hollywood releases of the year, uh, <laughs> uh, Alita Battle Angel, uh, which I, I, I talked about. That was one of my top three picks for just one of my favorite things from, from 2019 in, in the holiday special uh, last month. Um, but yeah, uh, Alita Battle, Battle Angel, a movie 20 years in the making, and uh, it's, a, it's a special film. Yeah, I had a blast watching that movie. <laughs> I kind of can't believe that it was made and it was that faithful to the original series like i know a lot of i've never seen the ova but i know a lot of it from amvs as i was because as he was growing growing up uh alita alita has a lot of really impressive imagery and i've seen a lot of those 
in AMVs, specifically the moment on the cable up to the the Sky City yeah. and, and the events that happened there. And I was stunned that it actually managed to get that far into that movie and had that part and was so like it actually killed off the boyfriend which i found kind of and like i absolutely did not expect that to happen whatsoever i thought yeah. it was, <laughs> I thought it, was gonna, like, it was glorious watch, it was absolutely glorious and the fact that he the fact that they actually as soon as he started climbing up i was like oh no they're going to do it <laughs> and I I loved it. I loved every second of that movie. Yeah, it, uh, it was it, fantastic. It, it brazenly uh it, it brazenly went against Hollywood convention in many ways, and that's because it pinpointed what makes you know, what was great about '90s cyberpunk OVAs, mm-hmm. and they they honed in on it. They trans rather than trying to turn it into a movie, they translated it into live action mm-hmm. uh and put it in theaters i think that's maybe maybe a better way of describing yeah. it because um it is it is in it is in many ways not a conventional movie mm-hmm. um it is in, in some ways it is um yeah there there, there are a few uh, a few compromises but i think those compromises are actually pretty small um they 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 translated the um the, the feeling of the 90s ova over very well uh, and that obviously resulted in a uh, a mixed reaction from the normies mm-hmm. for sure. But I I thought it was great. I'm yeah. happy with it. I wish I wish there was more coming, but there probably won't be. Probably not. But what we got was glorious. Yes, I'll it is. I I will celebrate it. Um. So sh- uh, shortly after that, I think was it March when we finally got the the second uh, Heaven's Feel film. I believe so. That's what I, I don't have a complete list of dates with the movies, but I have an order of where I yeah. believe they, they landed. Yeah, it was March, I think. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that one, there was uh, quite a bit of buzz, uh, and I contributed to this uh, a, f- a fair bit on social media uh, because it was initially announced that it was being released through Fathom Events. Um, mm-hmm. And at this point in time, when something is announced as being being released through Fathom Events... Um, that means that Canada probably isn't getting it because yeah. um, at this point you needed some kind of middleman or other company involved that had a history of dealing with Canada to get the film uh, out in Canada. And mm-hmm. if no company like that was announced, I think it was pretty reasonable to assume that a Canadian release was not going to happen. And in the case of uh, of uh, Face Day Night Heaven's Field 2, A Lost Butterfly... Uh, the complete title of that film, um, that would have been very disappointing because the uh, the first one that came out in 2018 did extremely well. Uh, the I think the majority of the screens were sold out. Um, so the the prospect of that film only coming out or not not getting a Canadian release because Anaplex only wanted to really, uh, work with Fathom um, was was really really disappointing. Um, but, uh, of course people made a lot of noise about it because it's fate. And I, I think a Canadian release probably had been in the cards the whole time because they did announce one, uh, a couple weeks later mm-hmm. and it was very, actually more extensive than the U S release. Whereas the U S release was only over two days. The Canadian release was over six. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, it wasn't just in Cineplex. Landmark cinemas was 
also playing the movie at, at many of their locations. I know that they were at the New Westminster location in BC. I think the other BC ones were playing it as well, and in, in a few other provinces. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was definitely recognition of the success of, of that first film here, and um, I, th- I think that the second one did really well. Um, there was a... I know that for the first film they did a subtitled release and then a separate dubbed release, and we didn't get the separate dubbed release for that first one. They didn't do that with this one, though, did they, do you recall? No, I don't think they did at all. Yeah, yeah, it was just the, this one release. Yeah. But we, we got it, um, and man, what a, what a movie. Um, Fate is something I've really only recently gotten into. Um, I, think, I think I'm one of those people who really kind of only cares about Fate Zero, um, but I did watch Unlimited Blade Works afterwards, and um, I, I got to say, I'm quite enjoying the, these um, these Heaven's Feel films. I know people see there's a, there seems to be a sentiment that it's the worst of the three roots from the game, but I think they work really well as movies. I think they've honed in on kind of the strengths of of that arc and cut out the repetitive stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's it, it it feel even though I haven't played the game, it feels to me like a a, a successful adaptation. Yeah, I think lots of the reasons, and I think opinion has turned around on Heaven's Feel a lot yeah. with the release of these movies. I think a lot of the earlier noise about Heaven's Feel was just because it centered around Sakura, and she was not really, like, of the three heroines in Fate, she's the least popular. But Heaven's Feel is, so far, is the route that has the most mature topics, uh, definitely ties the most in with ideas from Fate Zero, and really just reveals everything that there is to know about what the story is. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely the most mature of the three. Like, I, I like Unlimited Blade Works a lot, but it's basically just a typical hero narrative with yeah. with a few extra uh, swerves thrown in. And Heaven's Feel takes the action parts and really almost throws them to the side and embraces the horrific nature of what the Grail War actually entails. Yeah. And the movies really lean into just the horrors of what happens. And I found that really, 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 really interesting. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 uh, it, it's like the, like the diseased core. Well, the diseased core of everything has been exposed and mm-hmm. it is very ugly and unsettling. And, that that seems to be the the aesthetic approach, and I think it is very successful. Yeah. Um. In those movies, they've they've done a good job of that. And again, I think just the cinematic format helps because, you know, I, I'm I'm assuming in the in the light novel you kind of have to retread through certain points plot points again when you do through do each of these routes. Um. That's what I'm led to believe. I haven't again. I haven't played the game. So Pretty exactly much. Like, like that, at, at, mm-hmm. I would say at this point, like, uh, Heaven's Feel especially branches off from what the main narrative will be really, really quickly. Yeah. Uh, but it's probably still the first same hour three of the visual novel before yeah, it gets yeah. into what it's actually about. Um, and I think lots of people really didn't like that at first. And now yeah. that they're maturing as, as people, <laughs> I think they've found that that's actually the most interesting part. You, you you say that the the audience is mature, but uh, what, <laughs> but then as was a, a phenomenon that happened uh, across the continent when this film screened was um, people absolutely not able to process the idea of watching a sex scene in a movie. Yeah, which I find is very disappointing. <laughs> it's like 
Have, have these people seriously never seen a sex scene in a movie before? No. Like, like, so I, I, I actually heard that before. So I went in knowing there was going to be something. Yeah. Uh, I was actually, it kind of caught me off guard just how uh, erotic the faces got. Yeah, I, I think I think that's the part that that kind of just got even like this like a, a chortle of disbelief that they were actually going <laughs> that far. Like I was expecting like just a regular old sex scene, and what I got was something that was a little more right from the visual novel, mm. uh, which I kind of found a little jarring. Uh, so I'm not entirely surprised, uh, and then I'm but I'm also really grateful that like I, we don't have big loud crazy audiences here in manitoba yeah. and probably in canada generally compared even to in, the even States. in vancouver it's i i have found at least it's pretty rare to um to to have a a, a really rowdy or highly reactive audience um a, a lot of the time mm-hmm. i i knew about the scene i had heard people talking about the reaction on social media and I don't know. I I, I think it kind of says something about the anime fan audience to a degree that you know, for for all the talk about how you know how horny and sexual anime is a lot of the time, when you have an actual depic- depiction of of sex in a film, suddenly you know it it gets weird. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like that's something to chew on for sure. So yeah, that uh, I'm looking forward to the third film. I'm guessing that it it hasn't released in Japan yet, so no. I'm guessing we might like might see it by the end of the year. Um, probably, probably 2021. That's now. what I'm, yeah. I, I'm thinking probably November, December, we'll get it. Yeah. I think there was about a six month, uh, wait period between the two movies, uh, between the two releases rather, uh, from Japan to North America. I think it was yeah. about six months. Like the Blu-ray hadn't released for part two by the time it showed in theaters here. Yeah. Um, so did you see Oko's Inn? I did not see Oko's in. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. wish I had. It just, um, it looked at the time, it just was not what I was in the mood for. It was a bit more on the childish side from my impressions. So I yeah. never ended up getting to it. Yeah. It, uh, it does. I haven't seen it, but I, I know it, it doesn't look like much on the surface, but I've heard very good things. I, I hope, I hope to rectify that. I just, I kind of, forgot about it when it was in when it was released in theaters here it just kind of slipped by me mm-hmm. um so unfortunately i i did miss out on that uh okazin was put out by g kids and that did get a cineplex release so um i think that was the start of them kind of getting more back on track with with cineplex and also unlike last year we got ghibli fast again um mm-hmm. in 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 cineplex theaters as well which was i thought it was really weird that we didn't um, we didn't get that at all last year, but we had gotten it the previous year. Okay. Uh, that that almost says, like that almost suggests to me that there was some kind of like some some kind of issue between the two companies mm-hmm. um, that that kept this. I can only I can only speculate, but that was weird. I'm gl- I was glad to see that back. I did not see a single uh, Ghibli film in theaters though. I really wanted to try and catch Princess Mononoke, but unfortunately I couldn't I couldn't get the day off work. Yeah. So. Uh... Well, if we're talking about Ghibli Fest, uh, the only one of Ghibli Fest that I caught was Whisper of the Heart. Uh, yeah. Uh, and, and of Ghibli Fest, the movies that we didn't get that we had that the movies that we that were new uh, that we did not have two years ago were Whisper of the Heart, Princess Mononoke, 
Kaguya, and I believe Ariety. I could be wrong on that. Like, mm-hmm. Ariety could just be the one that I didn't see two years ago. Uh, but of those four, I saw Whisper of the Heart for the bajillionth time in my case. Yeah. Uh, it's my favorite Ghibli. I'm really glad I got to see that in the theater. Uh, just like lots of the sprawling scenes of <clears throat> urban Tokyo in the areas that were depicted, I found that really, really vivid and really interesting to see, uh, especially on a bigger screen. And I, I liked being able to see a smaller story on yeah. on in theaters. It was really cool. Yeah, I saw I saw Whisper of the Heart a few years ago. I was playing at well, I, I know you have the the Cinematheque in in Winnipeg, but we have a our own theater called the Cinematheque in Vancouver, and they they actually played a thirty five millimeter print um, that was uh, a, a little banged up. Yeah, <laughs> when they when they showed so. it, but it uh, it was you know it was it was, it was great good experience. Uh, did you see Penguin Highway? I did see Penguin Highway. I was going yeah. to bring that up if you weren't going to go back to it. Uh, Penguin Highway, I was really impressed with. I wasn't expecting much. All I knew was that it was a movie and there was something supernatural and penguins were in it. Yeah. And uh, I was impressed at the the themes and the tones of the story. I was surprised it was more mature than I was expecting because I knew that it was like the main character was a kid and there were penguins all around. But just getting into the themes of, of loss and maturity and growing up were themes that I weren't expecting from that movie. And the visuals were, were gorgeous, and I really liked how that whole story was put together. I found that really interesting altogether. Yeah, I, I, I again, I, I wasn't quite sure what to expect before I saw the movie. Um, but what, what I did know is that it was based off of a book by Tomohiko Morimi, who is the, the author of uh, Ned is Short Walk On Girl mm-hmm. and Tatami Galaxy and that stuff. So that gave me a hint that something kind of surreal and inexplicable was going to happen in this film. And that, uh, and I was correct. <laughs> so that certainly, that certainly did happen. Um, I'm kind of, I, I greatly enjoyed the film. I'm still at a bit of a loss of what it was trying to say, uh, to a degree, which mm-hmm. was definitely something. Um, I, I, I'd be interested in going back to it. Um, I, uh, I saw the subtitled version. Maybe, maybe I could watch the dub and, and see uh how that um how it comes together in that um but yeah that was a it it was a interesting film definitely a a standout that's going to surpass your expectations yeah i think i think that was a lot of the appeal really yeah is that it's uh deceptively simple on the surface yeah and And, i found i found out the author after i had seen it and i was like oh no that makes a lot more sense now (laughs) Uh, i ended up picking the book up i haven't read through it yet uh but i'm pretty pretty anxious to find out more and actually dive into it a bit more yeah yeah we uh yeah so also in vancouver um in basically beginning of summer uh i worked with van city theater and we put together a one-day anime film festival called uh called basically van city anime day uh that happened in, in uh in june um right before canada day and penguins highway was one of the films that we screened for that uh, it actually uh, it was also a, a huge hit. It sold it sold out, um, which surprised me because it it had already screened in Cineplex. But you know, I guess there was a lot of demand for it, and people love penguins, so mm-hmm. never underestimate that. Oh, no. um, yeah, we 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 were hoping to get more movies. Like God, we tried so hard to get. <laughs> uh, I want to eat your pancreas, but like no luck. We couldn't we couldn't get anywhere with picking that up. 
But we did get another movie that uh, also did not get a proper release in Canada, and that was the first Made in Abyss film. Uh, the first two were released mm. um, in the U.S. through Fathom. We we only got the first one. I think Van City Theatre was going to look into the second one, but it it uh, that never materialized. Um, but yeah, that that was direct, distributed by Sentai Filmworks, and they have been really bad <laughs> with uh, with getting their stuff in theaters. I think that they were working with Ozoland before, but Ozoland kind of doesn't seem to exist anymore, or at least. Are they still doing lives? Uh, no. Uh, no. As, uh, we'll talk about that a bit later. Okay, all right, yeah. Um, but Ozoland is ba- it's basically gone, or at least they're not... If, if it's still around, they're not doing theatrical releases like they were doing before, from what, I, from, what I've, from what I've gathered. Not nearly as much. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, Oz- Sentai was working with Ozoland to get their stuff out before. Um, they were going to release the... Um, uh, the Chinibio movie at late last year, and then they actually went back on, or sorry, in late 2018, they announced a Canadian release, but then actually went back on it and didn't release the movie. Um, after that, Sentai has just been working directly with Fathom, um, but they obviously have not bothered reaching out to Cineplex events to get their movies out as well, which is unfortunate because uh, they, they really push these the Made in Abyss release, which is surprising because I, I i have to wonder um how many children are going to see either of these films the mm. first one is not so bad the second one uh is extremely traumatizing yeah um and of course we're the third one is going to be coming out in in 2020 and i i'm expecting basically the same situation unless uh sentai decides to um to, to push for a canadian release i hope they do i hope they realize yeah. the the importance of releasing it up here um like the last thing that sentai had out here that i recall is the girls and panzer movie i mean yep. I, I could be i could be wrong there could be something in between I, there i believe that is the last sentai thing that we have gotten mm-hmm. yeah so i would i would and man and abyss is so popular mm-hmm. i just can't see it not coming here or yeah. if it's a continuation i i just hope that people would make a lot of noise at them that they would realize that it would be profitable to be here. I I could see that happening. I could I could see a push for that. I mean, these these other two films they're just compilation films. Yeah. Um, in fact, they they I don't think they even had any new footage. I think it's literally each one is like six to seven episodes crammed into a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, which is fine. I mean, I think it it, uh, it 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 works fine like that. Um, but also you have another situation. I I think it was just announced yesterday that Made in Abyss is getting a third anime season. Yeah. Which means is we're going to be in that incredibly frustrating situation where you have one season uh, of the show and then a movie and then another season. So you have a movie sandwiched between the two seasons. Yeah, and the movie uh, is from the manga too, which is a problem. Yes, exactly. Like it's so actually it's, stuff that you need to see moving forward. Yeah. So un- unless the new TV series is going to turn the movie into episodes uh, or do a, do a rev- do a reverse compilation. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is possible. That's happened before. Yeah. Uh, but unless that happens, we're we're going to be in a situation where we're going to get season two streaming, where a whole bunch or where a whole bunch of people have not seen the crucial film in between the two, because I have a feeling that that film is not going to be um, available streaming, as is the case with most movies. Yeah. Well, Sentai's um, been pretty good about putting their movies on high dive. They have. Uh, actually, take... High dive is actually really good for movies. Yeah. Actually, of of all the streaming services. Mm-hmm. 
In fact, they have they have some of the best anime movies ever on that streaming yeah. service. Um, which is uh, which, yeah, they they seem to be good at that. Fun Funimation is not good for movies. Nope. Um, Crunchyroll even worse. Yeah. Uh, but High Dive is, is a good a good resource for movies. Um. Uh, f- uh, just to finish off the anime day, we also uh, at that event screened um, the girl who leapt through time, the English mm-hmm. dub, which was uh, usually they don't do English dubs at Venice City Theater, but they um they, we they made an exception because uh, this movie was dubbed in Vancouver. We were hoping to get a voice actor to come and do a Q and A. Unfortunately, it uh, it didn't pan out, but it still did really well. And I think that is actually the first time uh, that movie has actually screened in Vancouver, despite the fact that it was dubbed there. Because way way back in the day when Bandai Entertainment released it, they only released it in the U.S. Um, but the, also, this, that, that, those were in the days before the the one day one two day limited engagement um, uh, kind of kind of approach, uh, where it was actually actually a limited release where they had to expect theaters to play it over and over again, which usually didn't work out for for non Ghibli films back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, uh, Anime Day had what I believe is still the only Canadian screening for the um, the new remastered version of Millennium Actress, which was really unfortunate. This this is uh, another time when Eleven Arts has has let us down. It seems that for some reason these Satoshi Kon re-releases are not getting picked up by Cineplex. Yeah, well, so far the only re-release that we've had are the Sailor Moon movies. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is too bad because there's been a lot of. Well, there, really there was uh, the there was the Broly, uh, the Dragon oh, Ball, yeah, the, yeah, the Broly, Broly films, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's too bad that we can't get the G Kids re-releases over here. Like, yeah, I, I wonder. I want. I got to wonder if that's from G Kids' side or from Cineplex's side. You know, it's weird because it's so. So I find the issue with not getting all these anime films in Canada. It's not the fact that the U.S. is getting stuff and we're not getting it. It's just that there doesn't seem to be any obvious rhyme or reason behind why we get some things and not other things. Yeah. There's there's just no justifiable reason that every film that gets released in the U.S. doesn't also get a release in Canada. That's that's what it kind of boils down to for me. And and I know when I say across Canada, I know that not every part of Canada is able to to get to these films a lot of the time because you do have to be near a a major city or willing to drive to a major city to see it a lot of the times. So yeah. Smaller, smaller communities just don't, don't, don't actually get anything. But, um, I mean, so, just getting anything on this side of the border is better than nothing. At least, at, at least it's, it's out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what is up with the, the Satoshi Kone movies and it's, or it seems Cineflex events. I guess now that, now that I think about it, they do seem a little reluctant to embrace any kind of reissue of something old. Yeah. Uh, unless it's attached to a major franchise. So, I mean, that might be it. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope that they'll reconsider with Tokyo Godfathers coming out this year. But, you know, if they passed on Perfect Blue, which did really well in the U.S., um, and passed on Millennium Actress, like, I don't, I don't see a lot of reason why they'd go for Tokyo Godfathers coming yeah, out. Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, and, like, even, like, going just to Cineplex in general, um ever since they stopped doing their their flashback film fest in like a two week period and just like spacing it out a lot more i i think that, that that's a part of the issue too is yeah like like when they did the flashback film fest and had everything over two weeks i i went to the theater almost every day to see stuff mm-hmm. uh 
and spreading it out, I think, is possibly more profitable for them. But I just liked having everything in one place. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens with that, I guess. Um, but yeah, uh, show, screening Millennium Actress at um at the at the Van City Anime Day was really exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a, it was a lot of fun that uh, I was able to host that. Um, it was almost the North. It was actually almost the North American premiere. Um for that re-release because we they actually they actually just let us screen it before the fathom release date they didn't seem to have any issue with that mm-hmm. um but a convent i can't remember which convention but a different convention beat us to the punch by one day and i found out about that like two days before i was like all ready to introduce this as the north american premiere uh of the remastered version of millennium actress and, and someone beat us to the punch Almost had it, but uh, it didn't work out. But um, yeah, Anime Day was a big success. We're probably going to be doing another event like that this year. So uh, keep uh, keep an eye on it <laughs> on uh, on Fan City Theater's social media and my social media because once uh, once things start escalating or once things start to fall into place, I'll uh, I'll start announcing things. Hopefully, we'll have a little more time to promote than we did for that one. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I'm hoping, ho- hoping, hoping to do more stuff like that in the future. Crunchyroll also put out the Saga of Tanya the Evil movie. Have, I, don't, I don't suppose you've seen any of Saga of Tanya the Evil? I haven't seen a single bit. Yeah. Uh, just the most I've seen of Tanya was when I was in Japan in 2016. We kept seeing the covers and kept thinking that they were really cool. And then the anime yeah. aired and we lost all interest, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't quite know how I feel about this whole not actual Nazi imagery as allegory thing, uh, but like just quasi, we want this to be Nazis, but we can't do Nazis, so we're going to do the closest thing to Nazis so we can. Yeah, it's like, oh, uh, it's actually World War World War One. yeah, yeah. Ooh, yeah, but still, like, it it, yeah. it I, becomes uncomfortable. It, it kind of is, but uh, I'll, a lot of people seem to like it, and have the people I wouldn't have expected to to appreciate and embrace it have. So I mean, there must be something to it. There must be more to it. Uh, but I had, it's not something I've gotten into. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, nonetheless, an unfortunate that that one uh, Crunchyroll only work with Fathom for that. But um, it looks like Crunchyroll might be turning things around with their releases. They were getting pretty bad for a while because uh, if if I recall, I think it was in 2018 we didn't wind up getting that Card Captor Sakura. Uh, film re-release yeah or was that the year before it, it was, yeah. it, was it, it was a couple years ago crunchyroll did um get the konosuba film out at the end of the year uh mm-hmm. that one was did get a canadian release and uh most of those screenings sold out uh that did i've i i didn't see it myself i don't follow konosuba but um i, I heard a lot of people complaining that they couldn't even get a ticket because uh it was just every, everything was packed and sold out that seemed that seemed to be the case in many places across the country too. Yeah, that's not so, entirely surprising to me. Like that movie, I, I didn't see it either, but it did get a lot of buzz behind it. And I think like just having that extra kick of uh, the screenwriter of Pulp Fiction yeah. wrote a five star <laughs> review of it. Yeah, Roger Roger, Roger Avery uh, said it's uh, he he commented that this is the well what this was the reason that cinema exists or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I think I think uh, that kicked a few people who were kind of on the fence to go see it. Yeah. Because yeah. it released it released for like another few engagements after that. 
what 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 unexpected publicity yeah <laughs> like crunchyroll could have never seen that one coming oh not at all yeah but i uh yeah it, it did well i hope that bodes well for crunchyroll getting more movies out up here um because there's probably going to be more of that in the future i would think so, so yeah yeah um so what else um Oh, uh, did you see Code Geass The Resurrection? I did not see Code Geass The Resurrection. Yeah. I I was in Japan at that time. Oh, yeah. Yes. Right. Uh, I went on my trip, my second trip there. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, that was um, – I, I heard mixed things. I never I never watched season two of that series. Nor did so, I. So, yeah. So I uh, I don't know. I've, I, I think I've made peace with many of my misgivings about Code Geass. Yeah. Maybe I should go back and give it another try. I think but, the same thing. I – was watching season two until I heard that they killed off my favorite character and then I stopped <laughs> watching. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so I didn't see Kogius. Uh, did we talk about, is Euphonium next on your list or? Uh, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's talk about Euphonium. So, uh, the sound Euphonium release is very interesting because it happened right, like literally a day or two after the arson attack. Yeah. At, uh, the, the Kyoto animation studio. um, and also, this this was um, it highlighted something that's a little frustrating that's been happening with with films in Vancouver, where they would um, there be screenings scheduled in some of the suburbs of Vancouver, like around Langley and North Vancouver, which is not the north of Van- of the city of Vancouver. It is uh, it, it's it's across the inlet, um, so not convenient to get to. And then like maybe one week before the actual screening would happen, they would announce that it, there'd be a screening at the International Village um, Cinema in Vancouver proper, which is not the big, which is not the big downtown cineplex in Vancouver. It is a small tucked away um, kind of cross between an art house theater and a cineplex uh, at the top of a, um, a dingy old mall. Um, so uh, unlike in Toronto, which is different from like other major cities like in Toronto and, and Montreal, where the the anime and big Cineplex event stuff play in the big downtown theaters. And I don't know, is that the case in Winnipeg? Where uh, the Cineplex event <clears throat> stuff is mostly in the, the, the bigger theater downtown? Kind of. Yeah. Uh, so how it used to be in one of our two biggest theaters. We have two big malls. Yeah, in, yeah. in Winnipeg, and both of those are connected to a theater. Uh, they a while back they converted one of the discount theaters to a VIP theater instead, and now that theater, which is in a, in a newer area of the city where they're just starting to develop a lot more, that's the one that now gets all of the anime releases. Mm-hmm. And except unless it's a really really big release, in which case it will go to one of the two bigger theaters. The unfortunate thing is that that area is incredibly hard to bust to so yeah. it makes it really tough for lots of teens to get to them uh yeah, it's yeah. basically in, in the exact opposite of the end of the city for me so i have to get there it has to be an ordeal uh it's a nice theater uh it's just i wish it could have gone to one of the bigger ones instead yeah. of instead of uh the smaller one and i know that i've had some people investigate for me why that is and they and Eleven Arts, the contact that we had with them, said that that is what Cineplex said is the biggest theater in the city, which is just completely untrue. Yes, but I found that I found that really interesting. I think they want to push that theater a lot more, 
And it's yeah. and, and I think that's part of the reason they put the events there. That's uh, yeah, because because it, it's interesting because in the city of Vancouver, like the anime usually shows up in either International Village or the park mm-hmm. on Canby. Those are both small theaters. They are not. They are small old theaters. They are not big cinemas. Like they have, we have the big Scotiabank Theater downtown. That one never has anime. Um, so I, I, I guess that means that Cineplex is like deli- must be like pointing all these distributors to release their films at the the smaller theaters for some reason. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't understand why that is. There's weird. There seems to be a weird politics. Yeah, there, there is, there is some decisions. reason yeah. that they are doing that. Yeah. And it just, I, I, it, ha- it has to be some kind of internal change, because that's also where all the flashbacks usually go now, as yeah. well. Uh, Meanwhile, like the flashbacks used to be at one of the two major theaters, so something internally definitely changed yeah. in how they organize but, that. But yeah, but going going back to Sound Euphonium, yeah. the 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 movie, um, so they they rela- they announced the Vancouver screening less than a week. <laughs> Before it happened, uh, mm-hmm. and it completely sold out. Uh, in the it was a smaller screen they had it in, but mm-hmm. I, I I did go. So despite the fact that I have not watched San Euphonium, I still went to see it because, uh, as with many people, I think that the the, the tragedy at Kyoani Kyo was uh, at the top of my mind. Yeah. Um. So I did go to see the subtitled screening. Um. And I got there just a little late, and it was completely packed. I had to sit right at the front. Wow. Which was not a, a great way to watch that movie. Um, th- unlike Liz and the Bluebird, this film, uh, I, I don't, I, there's not much I can say about it because I couldn't really, uh, follow, follow much of what was going on beyond what, kind of what was on the surface. It is, it, it seemed very much like a third season of the show. Mm-hmm. It seemed like a compilation of a third season of the show without an actual third season to be based on. Right. That's, that's kind of how it felt to me. Yeah, and and for me, uh, I was fully intending on going, and I had not seen Sonyphonium, so I was planning to yeah. watch in the in the week leading up, and then the arson attack happened, and my my entire will to to do any of that was just gone. Like like that was it was really like not to get too into it, but it was such a blow, and it was so yeah like absolutely demoralizing to to see and to hear exactly what was happening there that I just couldn't find the will to to celebrate their works yeah. when I was thinking yeah. about yeah. the tragedy that happened and so that was kind of the reason I couldn't end up going to see it uh mm-hmm. I still intend to watch Sandyphonium it still looks it like everything I've seen from that show looks incredible mm-hmm. like the animation especially and I intend to watch it at one point, uh, but it's just really hard. Like I still have trouble watching QAnon works right now, just thinking about yeah that whole situation. It's it's pretty tough, uh, and, and like it's taking a while to heal. Like yeah, surprisingly, I, I didn't expect it would have that much of an impact. But like for me personally, lots of QAnon works had a big impact on me, and just knowing what happened makes it really hard to connect with the material again mm, yeah yeah and, and there's another really and the that first violet evergarden movie um is coming up for release soon too although right now it's been announced as u.s only and i i think there's a very good chance that we're probably not going to see the violet evergarden film in canada at least not in not in theaters mm-hmm. um 
And from what I have gathered, um, and I, I the, uh, this might not be 100% correct, but it's probably because of Netflix. Um, because Netflix has, uh, they basically own Violet Evergarden yeah. outside of, uh, outside of Japan. And it seems that Funimation has probably, wor- what's probably happened is Funimation has worked out a deal with Netflix to get Violet Evergarden in U.S. theaters, but only in the U.S. Um, and probably if anyone else wanted to screen Violet Evergarden outside of that arrangement with Funimation, um, they would have to deal with Netflix and not Funimation. Um, mm-hmm. And where, where actually something very similar happened has, has been happening with a lot of A24 film releases, specifically Uncut Gems. Um, Uncut Gems, which is that the, the new movie with Adam Sandler, that it, r- right now it has been out in the States for a few weeks, um, li- like a limited wide release directly through A24 Pictures. The thing is that the deal that A24 has on a lot of their movies with Netflix is that Netflix owns the movie outside of the U.S., which creates a weird situation where the film has a distributor in the U.S. but not outside the U.S. So uh, there are some screenings that are popping up for Uncut Gems, ne- Gems now. I think there's there's one in Winnipeg, and I think a, a one just opened in Vancouver in, in B.C., from what I understand. Um, but any theater that wants to show Uncut Gems, they have to go. They basically have to go directly to Netflix and ask for permission to show it, which greatly reduces the number of theaters who are able to do that because it's. I don't think it's easy to work with Netflix for that kind of thing. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, like um, I, just because you said that, I I looked up Uncut Gems right now to see when it was playing because I I've yeah. been dying to see it. Uh, yeah, it looks like it's playing mainly in our Cinematheque, which yeah. is also, which is also, I uh, ended up seeing the Irishman there a while back yeah, too. Yeah. Uh, and I think like, yeah, that's just in the smallest independentist theaters out there. It's independent. Um, it's all independent theaters yeah. that, yeah. that ne- like a- anything Netflix, anything that Netflix owns mm-hmm. that if, if the only theaters that are going to get it are independent theaters who probably have, who have established yeah. some kind of pre-existing relationship with them. Like, Uncut Gems, it's yeah. Van City Theaters showing it here. The Rio's going to show it later. Like, just these independent theaters are the only ones who are going to carve um, uh, our relationship with Netflix most of the time. They, do, they don't seem to deal with Cineplex or, or um, Landmark or any any chain or major, uh, major company. And that goes for the States as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, in the States, again, a, a different company is dealing with it. So... I am expecting a similar situation with Violet Evergarden. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, actually, uh, just on that note, uh, when I was at um, Cinematheque, I noticed that they actually were playing Mirai as yeah. one of their extra uh, cabin fever is what they call it. It's like a series of films for kids mm-hmm. on their week on the weekends. And it's an interesting name. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for that so, series. <laughs> so it ended up... Uh, playing in Winnipeg uh, a, a week or two back. I ended up not seeing it because I didn't want to take a free spot away from a child. Uh, so uh, that's, but that's it, 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 did, it did play out here, which which I found neat. It, I still don't know if it even got a disc release here yet. Mirai? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. It probably did. I just didn't know. Uh, actually, that's a good point. I, I assumed that it had... But let me look it up on. Yeah, yeah it's out. Okay. Yeah. Oh, oh, hold on, hold on. Um, 
there's a re I see a release Blu-ray release here. Is it? I can't tell if this is just an import of the G Kid. Okay, actually, never mind. Yeah. You can you can import the G Kids release, but it, yeah, it looks like there is no. I didn't I didn't know that. Holy holy shit! I didn't realize that. We no, didn't I, get a we didn't get a home video release for Mirai. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing because I I've still been waiting to see it. Um, yeah, and it's not on it's not on uh, streaming here anywhere, is it? Uh, kind of. I I I'm a, I'm a teacher, and our school division has a license with a service called Criterion On Demand. Yes, yes, I'm familiar with that service. And yeah. it is dubbed only on that service. I was looking through their animated films to look for something that I could relate to my curriculum, and I noticed that movie, and I kind of just stopped and was stunned for a bit that it was actually somewhere. Yeah, you can you can rent or buy it on um on iTunes or Apple Apple Store. Hmm. Um not on Google Play, uh only Apple. Of course. Uh wow. <laughs> Thank you, uh, Mark Two Mile High. You uh, you blew this one. We tried getting it for Icon as well. Yeah, and we had a furious back and forth, uh, and it was just a lot of confusion. I don't really want to get into too much more than that because of privacy reasons, but it was ridiculous to even try to to get Mark Two to figure out that they had it. God, uh, yeah. yeah, so I, I it was it was a furious back and forth. And it was ridiculous, and I'm not even sure how that and like we just gave up because it was too hard. Wow, that's yeah. disappointing. Yeah, it really, it really is. Yeah, um, yeah. These uh, those these Hasoda films. It'll. I don't. I don't. I don't know if uh, there's been any word on Hasoda's next film, but it'll be interesting to see what happens with that because it's the rare situation where the rights are divided between Canada and the U.S. completely. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, that's gonna that's gonna be something to keep an eye on for sure. Yeah, uh, but yeah, that's that's unfortunate that that happened. At least uh, another Sentai release that came off that I didn't mention before was um, that came out in the U.S. but not here is the uh, the Danmachi film. Uh, is it wrong to pick up girls in a dungeon? Arrow the Orion. Um, it played at Anime Revolution in Vancouver. Uh, I'm assuming it probably showed up at some other conventions as well. But um, again, no proper release from Sentai uh, for that film up here as well and the i actually i think it was the same situation with the uh the utapri movie uda no prince sama mm -hmm. uh they played that at at, at, at anarevo and i think it showed up at a few other conventions but i'm not sure if that had a actual theatrical release in the states uh i mm, that's tricky i remember hearing a lot of people talk about it but it yeah. could have mm, i think it must have had a theater somewhere because i yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I think it must have uh, yeah, but, but the, uh, actually, the Rio played it in Vancouver, mm. so I think I think a few independents may have picked it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Udapri is is an interesting beast. I believe that that movie is just a concert as well. Uh, I think it's one of those kinds of movies. So it, it, it's animated, but it's just a concert. I think it's animated, but it's just a concert. I believe <laughs> I believe that's what it is. There's actually there there's a few. Um, franchises that do that now like bang dream just had had a things like was it called bang dream the film live or something which is the same concept it's just the bands playing the songs on the screen huh yeah but i'm pretty sure i'm 95 percent sure that's what the uda pre-movie was okay yeah i did not see it no. <laughs> despite the fact that i had two opportunities to um 
uh, actually, on on that note, uh, we we were talking a little about the lives. Yes. Um. So, what what what's I know we got a few of those throughout the year, both Love Live and Bang Dream. Yes, we got we got uh, two this yeah. year. We got uh, in January we had the Bang Dream Live, which was uh there. So Bang Dream has three bands that perform songs. Uh, has Pop and Party, who's the main band, Roselia, who is the secondary band, which is pretty much more popular than Pop and Party at this point. And then we have a third band called Rays Aswilin, who initially started off as just covering the songs of the other bands in the franchise and didn't have members that all played their own instruments and have since become their own separate unit. And they're currently the focus of the the seasons two and three of the Bang Dream show. And so this one was the Popping Party and Roselia each had a performance a week apart. And that was in January. Um, so I saw that. And I really enjoy the watching the Bang Dream bands live. Seeing them actually have their own technical merits in performing on stage is really interesting and unique to see. And I would say that I wasn't really a big fan of Bang Dream beforehand. Mm-hmm. And after seeing the live performances and how the 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 band members interacted with each other, interacted with the audience, I became more of a fan. And I ended up seeing them when they came to L.A. Uh, for Kara Expo. I went to that hell of a convention to see a performance. Uh, and I had a great, yeah, I had so, a great so time. Yeah, so I've heard. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's... Definitely one of the most disorganized conventions I've ever seen. Uh, yeah. But I like I ended up getting some autographs. I ended up seeing the shows, and I ended up being able to get a seat for. Uh, there was a pop and party acoustic live that I got a seat for, and I ended up getting one of the guitar picks, which was super cool. Um, but that would that wouldn't have happened if it weren't for the delayed viewing live that uh, that happened in early January. Uh, so there was that, and then there was a Love Live Aqua concert that happened in, I want to say, May or June, I believe is when it came out. And that one I ended up not going to um, because my friends went to it live, and I was jealous, so I didn't see it. Mm. Uh, and then besides, so after that, um, Azaland was the one who I know for sure handled the Bang Dream Lives. And they have their website doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Uh, their Twitter account, the last post on there is the post about the Love Live concert, and it's been complete silence since. So what has happened is there was a a separate company, um, the group who actually subtitled the Bang Dream Lives, took over and has started to put together. Uh, delayed viewings for the Bang Dream Lives now. Uh, I believe they're called Haha. I believe. Yeah. Yes. Uh, that's a that's a bad name for a company. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Haha N A D V. Okay. And so that was the group that was uh, subtitling the live performances, which is another reason why I really like the Bang Dream because seeing like actually having subtitles for what they were saying was really unique as far as the delayed viewings were going yeah it it sounded pretty essential for that one Mm -hmm. too it was yeah uh and they have since worked with the u.s to get 
um, some live viewings there. And they, their last, one of the last posts on their Twitter feed was a Canadian flag, which means I'm hoping that they're going to bring it to Canada soon. Uh, so I th- Wait, so, so that, so that one was in the U.S. only? Yeah, so that was in the U.S. only. Okay. Uh, and that happened actually just a few weeks ago. Oh, okay, okay. And their last post on their Twitter feed, uh, as of a few days ago was the Canadian flag. So it will be coming to Canada in some capacity. I actually ended up talking to one of the members of this group at, in Anaheim when I was there and he was saying that they were working with Cineplex and just like their contacts were, uh, had gone radio silent for the holidays. So I assume it's probably going to be in Cineplex when it comes here, which is pretty exciting. It's a good bet. Uh, Re- on a related note, uh, one, one thing that we, one notable, uh, film we did not get in Canada was Love Live Sunshine. Mm-hmm. Um, which, uh, a lot of people were upset about, but, uh, it looks, from what I have noticed about that particular film, it seems that the problems with the release, uh, stem far beyond, uh, simply have, not, not having it, uh, release in Canada. Yeah. Um, I, I've also heard that movie's not yeah. very good. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, it's one of the movies that I, I, I bought the Japanese Blu-ray with English subtitles when I was in Japan this past summer. Yeah. And I still haven't gotten around to watching it because I've, I've just kind of been dreading it because I keep hearing that it's not very good. One yeah, day I'll get around I, to it. I, I've heard a, I, there were a number of complaints going around that the, well, so first of all, the release of that film in the States was the day after the Blu-ray release in Japan, mm. <laughs> which um, strategically is awful mm-hmm. because the whole, you know, again, the whole thing that makes these uh, theatrical releases work most of the time is that you get it out before the home video release happens in Japan so that people don't pirate it. Um, the fact that it the release happened exactly one day after the Blu-ray release in Japan, um, that seems to be a pretty strong sign that this was some weird contractual issue that was preventing them from releasing or preventing Funimation from releasing it any sooner than that. Um, and the, the number of theaters that it was released in, in the States was incredibly random, sporadic and limited. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, I think like San Francisco didn't even have a screening within three hours of that area, which is frankly outrageous. Um, so I think that, I, I, I can't even begin to speculate wh- uh, why this was, but I, uh, I, I think the condition, the, the conditions in which it had to be released may have just prevented them from wanting to put any effort into it, mm-hmm. which I guess just happens sometimes. Yep. Um, but I, 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 I suspect the reason that one didn't get a Canadian release was just due to whatever was limiting it from getting a, a like a proper release in the U.S. as well. Um, I, w- I remember I was at, trying to ask Cineplex, ev- uh, Cineplex events about what was going on with that movie and if they were getting it, and every time they would get confused with the sun, the Love Live Sunshine Live, mm-hmm. which uh, we did get, yeah. um, and I, th- I think it is ridiculous that we can get these these untranslated live performance, uh, live delay uh, de- or delay lives, yeah, live delays. Um, for the that are that are adjacent to the primary content um, in Canada, but not the actual anime, mm-hmm. um, which which seemed to be kind of ridiculous. But this this the Love Live Sunshine thing seemed to be a weird isolated 
um, situation. So I'm not going to lose any sleep over that. Mm-hmm. I know a friend of the show, Rin Senpai, did also get his hands on the Blu-ray, and I think he was trying to look into arranging like a uh, a screening somewhere at like a a small venue somewhere yeah. in uh, in Vancouver. I don't think it. I don't think he was able to to get that going though, unfortunately. Yeah, that's what it is. Uh, which is just unfortunate overall, just because of especially considering how the previous movie was also shafted in Canada, more or less. Yeah. Uh, it's disappointing to see that that did continue. Yeah. Well, I mean, we did. Uh, we did eventually get uh, the, the the original film. Yeah, we did. Uh, the first film here. Far here, far after, after the Blu-ray release. Far but, after. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it it, it, it worked out in the end. Yeah. yeah. Um, so one movie I did want to touch on briefly uh, that I did see that I don't think a lot of people have had a chance to see yet was Children of the Sea, which is a, stu- a Studio 4 Degrees Celsius movie. Uh, they played it at VIF. So Children of the Sea is uh, it was directed by Ayumu Watanabe. He's done a whole bunch of Doraemon movies, and uh, he's also the director of Space Brothers. But this is like his first kind of standalone movie that he's worked on so have, have you heard much about children of the sea uh i've read the first two volumes of the manga and i've been okay, impressed with okay. what i read uh yeah and the trailers for that movie look really good yeah so this movie i found was a real mixed bag mm-hmm. um it's very ambitious uh the the whole ending sequence is like this kind of surreal roller coaster ride that i can't imagine having been as visually interesting or or well realized in manga as it was as a film the film had interesting ideas of relating origin of life in the sea to greater metaphysical concepts and stuff and it all plays out in a in an interesting way in the finale if kind of um hard to follow the problem is that a lot of the other aspects of the film outside of that kind of fall flat and at least to me they didn't really grab me I've seen some people raving about this movie and some people just saying they didn't like it at all. And I'm, I'm, I'm somewhere in the middle for sure. I think some things work, some things didn't, but nothing nothing really gelled for me in the end. I wasn't a big fan of the visual style. It seemed a little drab. I kind of feel like if you have read the manga, I haven't read the manga for this one, but I think the film might be an interesting companion for the novel because I have a, or for the, for the manga because I have a feeling that the character arcs are probably more compelling in like a, a comic or, or serialized format than they were in the film. I walked away from the movie feeling a little, not, maybe not apathetic, but um, a little, a little underwhelmed, honestly. Yeah, that, make, that makes sense. Yeah. So uh, it's being boasted as like a real visual spectacle, which in some ways it is, but parts of the movie don't really come together like I think they probably should have. Um, it, I'd say it's worth seeing though. But yeah, G Kids released this. They played it as part of Vancouver International Film Festival. I think they intended to give this film a a Fathom release or something, or a Fathom Cineplex events release throughout in 2019, but it didn't happen. Um, I, I can kind of see why, because this is this is definitely more of a an art film <laughs> in, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Kind of caught somewhere between being an art film and being a manga adaptation, um, which is why maybe it felt kind of lost in some ways. I guess I'm being overly negative. It's not. It's not a bad movie. It's it's worth seeing. But again, bit a bit of a mixed bag. Mm-hmm. But I wonder. Uh, I do wonder if we'll see if we're going to see a wider release for that one at some point. I would think so. Yeah. yeah. If it got the right buzz and the right trailers behind it, I think yeah. it could be. You could make a case for it. I, I guess we should talk about Promare too. Yeah. Uh, that probably comes after the next two I saw. 
Okay, what was uh, uh so Tokyo Ghoul S is oh, yeah, is, yeah. is uh the first one I saw. Uh I'm not going to say too much about it. Uh it's basically just carries over the same uh tone as the first Tokyo Ghoul live action movie, uh with the exception of they did recast the actress who played Toka because the original is a member of Happy Science. Uh, <laughs> uh and I think the new one does just fine. Uh, the cast is really good. And what I found most interesting about this one is it kind of just turns into a tokusatsu show at the end with like these like super effect heavy battles. Uh, and it really kind of veers away from the horror parts. Yeah. Which, which I really didn't mind. I, I am a big tokusatsu fan. And so, so it just kind of unironically goes in. This it way. unironically goes, in this <laughs> way, and I loved it. I yeah. I thought, especially like the last part was really fun. Um, yeah, I, think I, the, I haven't I haven't I haven't um, engaged with a lot of Tokyo Ghoul, but I I could see it playing out in this way. Yeah, <laughs> for uh, sure. Yeah, I, I was I was I had a pretty good time with it overall. Yeah, uh, which was which was fun over. And then um, the second thing that I saw that I believe came up before Promare was uh rascal does, does not dream of a dreaming girl yes yes um another uh one that se- seemed to be pretty to get to get a lot of buzz and and was pretty successful from what i, I gather yeah it was uh i yeah, ended up yeah. watching the the series uh rascal does not dream of bunny girl senpai which is a mouthful to say uh, uh, <laughs> it sound it sounds like a horrible parody. It does of, of something you'd find on Crunchyroll. Uh, but I ended up yeah. finding the series to be quite compelling. Uh, mm-hmm. It's the best way I can put it is it's a less stylistic, less creepy version of the Monogatari series. Uh, basically centered around a guy finding a girl who has some kind of power and or some kind of supernatural occurrence that happens around her and they, they become a couple right away. And then from there, they find other girls who are also having these problems or other kids who are also having these problems and try to find ways to, to solve their inner adolescent trauma that is causing this. Mm-hmm. And at the end of that series, there was a, a there was one of the, there was a cast of a few girls and one girl didn't have her story told yet, and there were some implications. And this movie uh, adapts the novel where her story is told. Uh, and this movie really puts a bow on the entire series. Like I, I know it continues afterwards, but just finishing off the stories of all of the girls in his life. Uh, this one continues that in a way that has a really few really surprising scenes. Uh and some really surprising events that I had no idea where the story was going to go after. And I was at the edge of my seat for a lot of it, which I wasn't anticipating when I first decided to go on the journey of watching the series and then watching the movies. Yes. Uh, so I, yeah, it's uh it's a toned down version, but it's really still compelling and really well told and well directed uh, without being overly stylistic. And I had a surprising amount of fun with this one. And who released the movie? Uh, I believe. Oh, it was, Anap- it, it, it was Anaplex. It, yes. Anaplex working with Funimation because mm-hmm. uh, they're both owned by Sony now. I guess. Yep, that's how it goes. Um, 
Yeah. So that so again that that's an Anaplex movie we did get. Um. So now now that they can, I, I wonder I do wonder if this means we're going to see Anaplex using Funimation Films as their their outlet because they don't work with Fathom in the states. Funimation Films actually just I think works directly with the theaters from what I from what I understand. Mm-hmm. Or 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 I think it's a case by case basis yeah. kind of thing. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they're working together for future Anaplex releases, which I guess would be the, maybe the next Fate movie or, oh, there's going to be a Fate Grand Order movie now, isn't there? Yeah, there is. So there's Heaven's Feel is the one that's coming out next. And then there's a, I believe it is a two-part movie based on the Camelot story of Fate Grand Order, which I'm looking pretty forward to. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, uh, just to go off that point, I find that the Fate Grand Order, uh, I like it a lot. It ends up taking lots of the Fate ideas, and instead of keeping with lots of the mature ideas, it really has gone a bit more mainstream. And mm-hmm. um, I think uh, the currently airing Babylonia anime and the Camelot are both uh, easy enough to follow without knowing anything else. And they're yeah. basically just shonen adventure stories, um, which is kind of what Fate Grand Order has turned into, uh, at least the more popular parts, which is kind of a shame. Uh, lots of the edge of Fate has gone. It's really been sanded down, uh, yeah. which is what happens I mean, when it... you become the most popular app almost ever. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you have the more populous stuff that's... Well, I mean, I guess it's all pretty popular stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you have the more mainstream-friendly stuff that's kind of um, on one stream. But then, the, on the other hand, you still have Heaven's Feel. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, maybe maybe we'll see more of the um, Lord Elmoy II um, uh, waiver stuff yeah. carrying on the, the Fate Zero story, too. I'm hoping there's a second season mm-hmm. of that, because that, that seemed to be pretty popular. There's a lot of novels, so, so I think there yeah. would probably be more. So there's, there's, there's a lot... A lot going on with Fate. I think there's, I think it's safe to say there's something for everyone mm-hmm. who likes that franchise. So it's not it's not a big deal. Yeah. Just there was one more release that I didn't see that I think is important to bring up, and that would be One Piece. Uh, I was I was I was actually going to do that one next. Okay, never mind. We can, Sorry. Uh, we, uh, we, we we can we can talk about One Piece. Okay. So um, actually, also before we get to premiere, let's uh, One Piece Stampede. Um, did you did you catch that one? I did not. I yeah. Saw ads I was for thinking, all over Japan, and I just never managed yeah. to get to it in Japan. And then when it came out here, uh, life got in the way. I believe it was probably a work-heavy time, and it was just not in the cards. Yeah, I want like so. I am thirty volumes behind in One Piece <laughs> right now. So I um, my my understanding is that this uh, One Piece Stampede is apparently very good, uh, and it's it's been toted as kind of like a celebration of the franchise over the decades with like little, little cameos from, uh, from characters who have appeared all throughout the series. Mm -hmm. Um, and apparently utilized in in pretty satisfying ways. I don't know. I I haven't seen it. I can't say I, I do kind of wish I had made it out to, to, to see the movie. Um, even though I'm really behind in the series, I, it sounded like the kind of thing that even if you have only a cursory, uh, familiarity with One Piece, it, you you would have enjoyed it, which um, which is great because uh, as with with Dragon Ball, it seems it seems like these uh, more recent One Piece movies have been have been pretty good. Yeah, and uh, I think it, it continued that trend. Yeah, I, I I'm honestly not 
the biggest fan of the One Piece movies that Oda's been a part of. Yeah. I lots of the One Piece movies I like are the ones that are a little more snappy. Yeah. Or the Hosoda directed one, which I think is still my favorite. And the fact that and... there's no release of it here is bonkers to me. I, I, the, I have to believe it. We, we don't have there, there's I don't think any, the first seven movies just seem to be off limits for some reason. Yeah. Funimation doesn't doesn't license them, which I don't, I don't know if it's because they can't get them or because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, One Piece just isn't as big here as it should be. <laughs> it's still it's still yeah. one of the biggest franchises, but it just it's not enough for them to justify whatever that expense is for something something old and standalone that yeah. they, they missed out on initially. Yeah, I, who knows? I'd be surprised because I like the the few of those One Piece movies are are really solid affairs. Like the Hosoda yeah. one is really good, and uh, movie two is the one that really made me like One Piece in the first place. Uh, and that one's only like a forty minute movie, um, but it's a really fun distillation of what One Piece is. And it's a shame that they ha- there hasn't been some way to bring those movies over here because those are yeah. the One Piece discs that I'd like to own over a thousand episodes of the anime which i'm never going to buy yeah, each individually yeah. uh but i would like to get the movies and have them in my collection because they're really strong pieces of animation they're really yeah. fun to watch yeah it was just there were just so many missteps with one piece yeah. when, when 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 it started here i think they're, they're just never going to make up for that um they assuming that it does actually end in the next five years like they're saying it should um, I think uh, like Viz or Funimation, whoever just they they just need to get uh, right on it uh, when whenever Oda starts his next work, yeah. which he almost certainly will. Yeah, and and the <laughs> um, fact that like Stampede came out here and it was as it was yeah. really popular when it came out, like, like I know exactly, a lot of people yeah. talking about it. Like I yeah. I can see One Piece going forward is going to stay popular. It's just I'm I'm glad it's at least doing well enough to to sustain these kind of releases mm-hmm. in in both the U.S. and Canada. Yeah. So that's good. Um, so yeah, let's, well, I mean, let's talk about Premiere, but I mean, what, what is there left to talk about? This has been, uh, I think this is, this movie has dominated a significant amount of anime discourse. Yeah, like, uh, through 2019. At this point, who hasn't seen it, uh, yeah, is kind of, is kind of what I've thought about it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I have a, I have a story about going to see it because they, uh, you, you know how I mentioned, uh, Vancouver anime screenings just go to this one dingy little theater at the, at the top of a of a fairly empty mall in international village um that was also the case with promare uh which was a screening they they announced like one week before it happened and uh but when i when i was the day i was going to see it i had actually been on vancouver island i was going to visit uh, carl and cory uh, or Corey had visited. We we went to go visit Carl, and I had to drop Corey off at the airport, and it gave me just just under an hour and a half to drive from the airport to downtown Vancouver to see this movie. And now keep keep in mind, I never drive to downtown Vancouver because it's a terrible idea. <laughs> I usually transit, but here I had no choice because this is the only screening I was going to have an opportunity to see. So I got down there and I made it with just enough time to spare to park or what would have been just enough time to spare and park and watch the movie. But unfortunately, um, at the time 
right at this time, a shooting had happened outside oh, of International Village. And I need to emphasize, like, shootings almost never happen in Vancouver, but it happened right here at this time, outside of the theater, and it resulted in the one um, street I had to take in order to get into the underground parking at the mall being blocked off. Uh, so I could not park where I was supposed to park to see the movie, so I had to drive around to find some other parking. And I was running out of time, so I went to this this parkade that was across the street from the theater because I didn't I didn't have time to find anything better, and I had to pay twenty five dollars to to park to see this Ooh. movie, uh, <laughs> which um, I got in there and I I I got there in time to to see the whole thing and it was magnificent. None none of this detracted from my experience <laughs> of watching the movie at all, which uh, which is a great testament to the quality of the film because I was in a pretty foul mood <laughs> when I got there. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, that, it was a uh, Promare is an absolute delight uh, for everyone in almost every way that an anime film can be. I, I, I think. Absolutely. I personally got really overwhelmed at the start, uh, yeah. especially because I saw the subtitled. So you have both looking at the subtitles and there is so much action happening on the screen really quickly it's i found it really hard to get myself into the rhythm but after that initial scene and the action kind of slows down uh i ended up having a really big blast with it i need to watch it again knowing that i've already have like with the knowledge of what's going to happen on the screen know where to look yeah and i think that's going to improve my enjoyment on further viewings i really enjoyed it overall like this the animation is fantastic the characters are great uh, the story is really snappy and there's just nothing, I haven't seen really anything like it. Like if I were to compare it to another theatrical experience, I think this would probably be like what watching Redline in the theater would have felt like, uh, just in terms of the animation that is happening everywhere yeah. and the experience of sitting and just having a blast watching what you're watching. Yeah. And it's, it's a perfect distillation of, um, of what had been successful in previous uh, things that uh, Imaishi directed as well. And, but he just, you know, he just, he, he, uh, he knows what's, he knows what works. Um, and he, I think he refines it a little more. Well, okay. I, I, I think I prefer Gurren Lagan a bit to, to Kill the Kill, but mm-hmm. Kill the Kill is, is probably better paced though. So in a way he's always, you know, always continually refining everything. As, as he goes on and this definitely uh w- w- was a big uh, was a big crowd pleaser mm-hmm. uh it wound up being way bigger than i think anyone expected oh, yeah. it to be uh and yeah we got the did you I, I guess you only made it to the one screening and not the redux screen no i was uh yeah. that actually happened when i was in anaheim for okay, the yeah. care expo yeah so i mean uh, yes that. yes yeah i know the the rio picked up a they after Cinepl- it finished at Cineplex, the Rio picked it up in Vancouver. They 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 went. They only scheduled one screening originally, and they wound up having like four or five, and everyone sold out. Wow. Um, and I'm I'm assuming that uh, that these were screenings where people were uh, yelling and cheering a lot and yelling things at the screen, which was apparently a big problem at at some of the Promare screenings, mm-hmm. especially during the second run. Yeah. Um, I, I know some people were sharing something on social media, like giving you instructions on how to cheer and shout out things while you're watching Promare in the theater with no consideration yeah, at all I, for I, the I, fact that uh, some other people in the theater may not have seen it yet. Yeah, I have to wonder how much of that actually ended up happening and how much of that yeah. was internet brouhaha. 
Uh, I'm sure much. I am sure if it was it was much internet brouhaha. Yeah. But I've I've I heard some accounts of of uh, of people being exceptionally enthusiastic while watching. Promo. Yeah, and I I can see that. Yeah. I can, it's a movie that really touches the hearts of a lot of teens who would be watching yeah, anime yeah. for the first time and would go back and see and get really excited. I, it, it brings I, out yeah. the it brings out the adolescent in everyone in the best yeah, way. Yeah, like I remember I, even yeah. if you're already an adolescent. <laughs> like I remember being a teen and being really excited, overly excited for different anime that I'm watching and I'm not surprised that this is now transformed into yelling things at the theater screen. Uh yeah. I think I as I mean as far as Canada goes, I would think that we're not in the same noise level as what I've heard the states is like. So I I don't think you can with with a country as big as the United States True. and also a country as big as Canada I don't think you can you can generalize too much mm-hmm. but based on people my own experiences based on what I've heard when I've talked to other people uh, about their theatrical experiences both in Canada and the U S it seems that there is a hot like you are more likely to encounter a rowdy crowd at any given movie and when you're seeing a movie in the united states versus in canada yeah there does seem to be an identifiable trend there mm-hmm. uh, from what i've seen not scientifically proven no but, but like every every time uh, but, i've heard of theater experiences in the states like it could just be this is where lots of the film crowds are are the people i listen to and your yeah. opinions for but i keep I always hear about people like cheering and and shouting when like their favorite characters appear on the screen and that's never something i've ever experienced in a or just giving snide or just like giving snide commentary on on you know dumb things that happen in movies but yeah promare is an absolute delight and yeah. it's great it's a movie that yells at you yeah. so you feel compelled to yell yeah. back yep i i think i think i think there is validity to that but um you uh you, you know if you there should be a designation between the screenings you go to where you just watch the movie quietly and enjoy it. And the ones where you, you yell at the movie. Yeah. I think, I think that that's the way to do it. Yeah. And that's how it worked in Japan. And people thought that they would do what happened in Japan here without really considering that it was a limited release and people would be seeing it for the first time. And you have to understand in Japan, that's a big exception because people don't make any noise. Oh gosh, no! <laughs> in the theaters nope. in Japan, even when you're watching a comedy. Yeah. But even there, there's a there's a place for uh for screaming things at the at, at the screen, mm-hmm. even even in the disciplined theatrical culture of Japan. Yep. So there you go. It's okay. It's all good. But just know time and place. Time yeah. and place at all times. Yeah. But yeah, yeah uh, Promare is great. I can't wait to get that on Blu-ray and just watch it over and over again because mm-hmm. I. It is a highly rewatchable movie. In fact, I kind of regret not not seeing it in theaters again. Yeah. And I think uh, the last thing to talk about is a movie that well, just came out now, but it also debuted at Toronto International Film Festival, so it, it was a film that came out in, in Canada in, in 2019, yeah. which was Weathering With You. Um, just caught it last night. I, I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, it definitely is not as good as your name, which is probably what the first thing almost anyone who sees it will say. Um, I, I found it was highly entertaining. It falls a lot of it. It's a different movie from your name, but it still kind of falls a lot of the same beats, um, which is, you know, that's definitely a knock against the film to some degree. But um, I think that if Makoto Shinkai keeps making movies that are just a series of diminishing returns from your name, 
Um, I, I don't think that that would necessarily be a bad thing, because I think it's better than the trajectory that he was on before, which was uh, a little all over the place. Yeah, uh, I have uh, a very special relationship with this movie, because mm-hmm. I ended up seeing this on my trip in Japan. So, this, oh, so nice. for me, this counts yeah. as a 2019 movie. Uh, oh, okay, okay, great. Yeah, uh, And uh, just to make things even better for myself, I actually saw this in IMAX in Japan. Oh, wow. was absolutely incredible. Uh, I had seen movies in Japan before. I, my knowledge of Japanese is very, very, very basic, but I can get by and I can get basic ideas. And I was a little worried going into this, wondering what I understand or not. And I ended up getting most of the plot points, just a few different uh, specific, specific things I, I i missed like the main thing i missed was i missed what the relationship between keisuke and natsumi was and that was never really cleared up until i watched the movie and I'm like oh it's a completely different idea than what i thought it was yeah, uh yeah. and but that's basically it and the more i looked back on it the more i understood every plot point i think because i saw it in japan i had a really in-depth relationship with it and i really connected to this movie a lot i I really like if you if you've if you've been to Tokyo, mm-hmm. you'll watch this movie and be like, "Yep, that that sure is Tokyo." Oh my gosh, uh, it's, yeah. yeah, that's that's <laughs> the main point that I think is yeah. strong. Is like it just absolutely nails what Tokyo looks like, especially at yeah. night and in the areas for adults. The, the the setting is perfectly realized mm-hmm. I, yeah especially with like red light districts and yeah. stuff i'm just like yep that's that is exactly what that looks yeah. like and feels like being in <laughs> for sure yeah um, on that note i'm curious i'm curious what you thought of all of the uh licensed branding and I, I don't think all of it was product placement no but it was there was certainly like licensed branding in there there is uh, and that didn't surprise me at all uh yeah. especially both times i was in japan the first time was just before your name released. Mm-hmm. And the second time was right in the middle of this. And it's both of them were just absolutely everywhere. There was ads everywhere. Like they have collaborations with the JR stations, which is the primary mm-hmm. mode of transportation. So when you were on a train, you would see it everywhere you went. Uh, I, I, Tokyo, uh, the Yamanote line has one or two trains that are specifically branded. Uh, and the entire train is themed on the same idea. And I was on a Your Name train on my last... Oh, yeah. <laughs> Every store I went to uh, in 2019, there was always a radio playing the main theme from Weathering, Weathering With You. Uh, it was inescapable. So something that big, I can see, would have those connections. And... Uh, Tokyo itself is very branded in general, so I I understand how that throws people off. But to mm, me, yeah. that just kind of feels like, oh, this was actually filmed, like it was. This was actually like filmed with a camera. You would see those brandings anyway. Exactly, and that it, to me it adds to the realism of Tokyo, which I it, it does, which yeah. I find really important and when you consider what happens at the end of the movie and the, impl- <laughs> we, we, I, 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 I'm not yeah. going to, I can't get into what happens 
Yeah, we, we we will not spoil uh, uh, the end of that. But it's really, yeah. it's it's. It, it, I find that having that branding is a deliberate choice. It's for sponsorship, but I think there's also a reason that it's there. Yeah. Uh, instead of just making money. Yeah, I mean, with the with the way Makoto Shinkai uh, conceptualizes the world around him in in anime, I think that, that that's kind of an extension of the way that he he uh incorporates things into his films mm-hmm. rather it's, it's a logical progression of how he he handles settings and and, and things in his films yeah. so yeah it makes sense i did I, I did find it peculiar that there's one running gag in the movie where they're constantly feeding a cat what is clearly calorie mate yeah um but it's never identified as calorie mate no uh, also i will not spoil what happens with that cat <laughs> in the movie but uh that might be why they didn't want to have the the brand attached to yeah. it yeah I really just had a a blast with that movie. And like a big part of it is the fact that I saw it in Japan. I really enjoy the climax of that movie and how sound is incorporated to that, to the big scene. There's a point when the music swells and hits, hits its crescendo at a very impactful moment. And I didn't have a reaction the first time I saw it, but the second time I saw it, I ended up tearing up and kind of shaking when it was happening, which I wasn't (laughs) expecting to happen to me. Uh, I just, I, I think that it's not as impactful, not as good as your name, um, but I think it's still a really good movie on its own merits. On that note, since you saw it when you were in Japan, and mm-hmm. what I guess would, would have been in the summer, were, were you there during like the massive heat wave? Oh, I sure was. So, what was it like? So, I found it interesting in this movie. It's like showing this version of the summer of 2019 Japan, or, or I guess, I guess. I guess given some of the connections in the movie, this mm-hmm. is technically in like 2021. Yeah. Um, I guess I guess that's actually when the setting would be, you know, summer of 2021 in Japan, where it is the temperature is below normal and it's constantly raining and flooding. When in reality the uh, the weather was like hitting almost 50 degrees in some places mm-hmm. uh, in Japan, from what I understand, like h- how did that affect the way you felt while watching the movie and experiencing like its depiction of weather? I <laughs> Uh, it was really interesting. I, cause like the theater was of course air conditioned and like air conditioned so much that it kind of got chilly. So at the parts when the weather dropped a lot in the movie, I was like, Oh, I, I kind of felt that myself, uh, which was, which was neat. And then going back outside, I'm like, Oh no, it's really hot. Uh, maybe we should be concerned. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, uh, it was, it was, um, I went in 2016 and then 2019 and I, it was unbelievable how hot it was in 2019. Uh, yeah. And unfortunately that's the only time of the year I can go to Japan with, unless like the year lines up exactly right to go in the winter time. That is very it unfortunate. It is incredibly unfortunate. Summer is the only time I would never go well, to Japan. I would not recommend going this uh, summer if you at yeah. all could avoid it. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, it felt it, it felt like the film. I kind of felt like Shinkai maybe wanted to say something about climate change in this film, but couldn't. Uh, I don't know how. I, I don't. I don't think that climate change is politicized in Japan the same way it is here. No, I don't think it um, is. But no. But I mean, I, I mean, on that note, maybe that kind of explains the film's depiction of of uh, of, of climate and weather as well, in, in in a sense. So maybe I shouldn't think of it that way. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah. 
Also on that note, how do you think that how do you feel weathering with you compares to Shinkai's earlier work? Uh, I think it actually reminds me a lot more of his earlier work, uh, especially because it's not a complete crowd pleaser at the end. Yeah, uh, I think that that like I had to sit on that ending for half a year before anyone else saw it and I could talk about it with people. Uh, which which yeah i i I was not expecting that people people have been very disciplined in uh in in hiding yeah oh i i was waiting and just like there were there's there's three moments in the movie where i was just waiting to find out what the crowd reaction around was going to be and each of those three (laughs) moments did not disappoint like of those three moments when i was in the japanese theater trying to be quiet i definitely inhaled very loudly at the first of these three moments, because uh, I was not expecting what I saw. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm hoping I'm vague enough to have people who know who watch the movie know what I'm talking about. Yeah, and not vague and vague enough for anyone else to not know. Um, I know which moments you're talking. Yeah, about. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I found that really interesting. Yeah. Uh, uh, the, I guess one other movie I think I li- I missed on the list was ha- uh, Human Lost. Mm-hmm. Uh, did I, I didn't I didn't really hear much about that one. Yeah, the reviews of that that were from people who were watching it were dismissive enough that I just lost interest immediately after yeah. seeing it. So I just didn't really care. Um, actually, uh, just, uh, icon ended up showing, uh, the second part of the Haikara san movies at our event. Oh really? Which didn't, yeah, we got, and, and that, that ended up coming from 11 arts. And that was, I think probably one of the only places that you could have seen part two of those movies. Uh, in all of North America, actually, yeah. <laughs> it had, that had a very limited release. Um, I'm jealous because I can't even. Uh, well, I mean, I guess I could buy the the DVD off of Right mm-hmm. Stuff uh, to see the second part. I really don't want to uh, because I just I just want to watch that movie once. Yeah. And um, let me tell you, the options for watching that are extremely limited, mm-hmm. uh, even if you are going outside of legal means. Oh yeah. <laughs> so. No, it, which makes it kind of a miracle that it came out in the yeah. first place. <laughs> Yeah, good for you. Yeah. I, I hope I get a chance to see that at some point. Yep. But, uh, yeah, maybe just to finish off because I think we we've gone very quite long with this. <laughs> sure. Um, uh, what are the movies that are lined up for 2020? We we know Ride Your Wave yeah. is coming in February, Which I am thrilled uh, as I mentioned for. before. I cannot wait. Yeah, it looks it looks like a lot of mm-hmm. fun, and I'm uh, I'm glad that Cineplex is finally um, uh, giving Masaki Yuasa films a chance. Yeah, and the fact that the fact that um, I got a trailer before Weathering with You. I think is really going to help. Yeah. Uh, numbers. It, it the, the trailer so. looks a lot like um, has looks a lot like the tone of Lou, which I really enjoyed Lou over the wall, which I had a blast with. So I I'm really looking forward to watching this one. There's also Birthday Wonderland, or it's being released as The Wonderland uh, here as well, which I gotta say uh, that is terrible SEO because uh, it's very hard to find something on just The Wonderland, whereas. Birthday Wonderland is very Google friendly, mm-hmm. so I don't know why Eleven Arts made that choice. It looks like in the states, it's being released across um, mostly independent theaters. So I don't think this is a Fathom release, um, and it's uh, it's it's by Kei Ichihara, who's the director of Miss Hokusai. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think Buzz has been especially overly positive about no, the movie, but I'm I'm, I'm I'm curious to see it still. Um, I they uh, Eleven Arts says it's coming to theaters in Canada, so. I'm assuming it's either going to get a small Cineplex release later or might show up in some, some independent theaters. So um, we'll see what happens with that. It seems to be a little bit a little bit of an odd duck in terms of 
how the release is being handled. Um, Violet Evergarden, so far U.S. only, for reasons we mentioned before. The next My Hero Academia movie, that has been confirmed for U.S. and Canada, unsurprisingly. Um, and there's still that, that uh, Eureka 7 Anemone movie, mm. which Funimation said they were going to release in theaters, but it never actually materialized. I'm starting to, starting to suspect that it won't. No, I mean... Uh... I think part of it is just the the buzz around those movies that has not been positive whatsoever. Yeah. And I think that that's probably hindering yeah. them releasing it uh, overall. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see the, the Anemone film. I haven't heard really much about it, which might not be a good sign. Um, but I'm, I'm still curious to see it. I want to see what... Uh, uh, what those folks are going to are gonna do with Eureka 7 coming back to it over a decade later. But... Uh, yeah, that's that's just up in the air for now. And was were there any other films that I kind of missed that were are, have been lined up for 2020 so uh, far? Nothing that's been lined up as a for sure yeah. release. Uh, I'm sure Fate Heavens Feel. Uh, I'm betting it's going to come out this year, or at the very least, it'll come out in time for the next podcast that we do. Um, yeah. Both Heavens Feel and potentially even the Camelot movie. Um, Besides that, there's nothing super... Or, or the Made in Abyss movie, I think, oh, has yeah, a yeah. good chance of coming so, over here. Uh, yeah, we'll if, if Sentai push. works with yeah. Canada. Um, yeah, folks, if you if you want to see if you want to see that movie in Canada, start telling Sentai Filmworks you want to see it because I think I think that's I think that's going to be the one to push for uh, at least for the first part of 2020. Yeah. Or uh or if they don't, I can uh we can just show it at the Van City Anime <laughs> event and uh and benefit from that neglect. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see what happens. And on that note, uh, yeah, keep an eye on my social media and Van City Theater or or VIF social um social media for any announcements coming up on that on that anime event because I'm hoping uh hoping we get that together and I think it's going to be pretty good if we do. Uh, so Randy, I think I guess we'll wrap it up now. Uh, where can can folks find you on social media and, and other stuff that you're uh, you're involved in? Right uh, now? Well, people can find me. I am always at Icon. Um, I run all the programming, so you can find me running around or hopefully doing a panel. Uh, I do panels when I can manage to have free time. And then besides that, you can follow me on Twitter, and I am on Twitter at at Chandiran. So think of Randy Chan and just reverse the C-H and the R. And, uh, yeah, and thanks for tuning in to Zon in Canada. You can reach me on Twitter at jbetteridge or email zonincanada at gmail.com. Uh, the theme song is by Ultra Kleistron. Find it on his album Packet Flood at ultraclistron.com. Uh, subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, uh, Spotify, uh, which is, you can now find Zon in Canada on Spotify at long last, as well as everything, everywhere else you can find podcasts. If you can't find it on a podcast, uh, device that you use, please let me know and I'll try and fix it. Uh, thanks for listening. See you again. <laughs>